This is a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information, go to fubarradio.com. Ian Hey, everything about London. Not least that I can't hear myself through these headphones again. Hello, coming on to the show today that's delayed, not delayed for you, but delayed for us. Um, it's April the 1st. This isn't an April Fool yeah. joke because it'll be after midday. midday, won't it? Which I think is the best time to do an April Fool joke because then people will think that you're, you're not doing one. Actually, fuck it, June. June's a better time, isn't it? Why? Just do it in June. That would be a real good April Fool's end. Do it on April 1st. Everyone's like, I know what's going yeah, on in yeah. June. Not got a clue. Do it every day apart from April 1st. Coming up on the show today, 4.30, Craig DeFrancia. DeFrancia? Frankia? Yeah, DeFrancia. Yeah. Will be on the phone. Is that what we're doing now? No, just just say what random people Craig are going to be doing the while the show's on. From his Netflix film, The Irishman, coming out soon, Robert De Niro. Then at 5 p.m., well, Mark, Williams well. Tom- Nat, Mark Williams Thomas is in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Then at 5.30, Jeremy Wooding is in the studio. Hi there. Ooh. Welcome to the show. I'm going to have a banana now while yep. Nat says all the bits that was meant to say. I probably should say that Craig DeFrancia, as Ooh. well as talking about his new Netflix film, The mm. Irishman, sorry, Robert mm. De Niro, oh. was also in Green Book, the Oscar-winning Green Book. You're in a banana. So that's him. And Mark Williams Thomas. Uh, you don't have to rush now. It's going to be ages. Go on. But I don't like it. it. It's talking about his um, experience working because he was at the centre mm. of some very high-profile investigations. Jimmy Savile. He interviewed Oscar Pistorius. That sounded like you just said Jimmy Savile like you had Tourette's. <laughs> <laughs> that like Jimmy Savile. Maybe I'll just You're do off that. with the said Jimmy Savileton's. <laughs> uh, and also Jeremy Wooding, who directed the first series of Peep Show, is going to be in here to talk about his new film, Burning Men. That sounds good. It is good. I've watched the trailer for it, and it's done in a very similar POV. As You haven't seen Peep Show, have you? No. Okay, so it's sort of with um, Jeremy and Mark. It's They've got cameras on them, so they're... I understand the concept. Yeah, and so there's a lot of that in Burning Man. It looks good. Have you not had any new ideas? Um, but what's something to ask him, isn't it? <laughs> I think I'll ask him that first. Hey, maybe it was his idea for Peep Show, and he was like, well, it's mine then. I'm keeping it. Yeah, but if you'd done it once... Yeah, but this is... Wasn't Peep, Peep Show was very successful, wasn't it? Very successful. Well, this film isn't... It's got horror element, horror occulty elements to it. Heavens. Heavens um, to what, Williams, Mark Williams Thomas, you didn't yeah. actually say what he was. 
Uh, well, he just said, is he, he had experience at the centre of these investigations. Oh, okay. He's that a, could mean he was like under suspicion. He's an award-winning investigative reporter and hmm. criminologist. Wait, he didn't write that several book, did he? Uh, he he might have done. In plain sight. So, oh, I don't know. We'll check that out. Um, It'd be on his CV if you had. Well, let me just... Uh, uh, don't worry if this makes you feel sick. I've finished now. Okay. He secured the only interview with Oscar Pistorius and finally exposed Jimmy Savile. I contest that. What, the only interview didn't with Oscar Pistorius? He um, Yeah. I, I would imagine there were also police interviews. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think in, well, he used it's to be slightly a misleading to say that he secured the only interview. With Oscar Pistorius. Yeah, well, Pistorius. Okay. <laughs> He also used to be a policeman, ex-Surrey detective, and Guildford rugby player. So what's he doing, mucking, like, mucking about? And where was Pistorius at? When was it out? Well, a few years ago. No, where was that at? That wasn't in the UK, was it? I wouldn't have thought so. I don't remember watching Where it was he from, Oscar Pistorius? Uh, South Africa. Okay, so I pres- wasn't it there? <laughs> that he did the interview? Yeah, but no, that he'd done the shooting? He really killed oh, his Oh, no, he, his did, he did do the shooting in his house, yeah. Yeah, so why is he sticking his nose in? Well, it was a big coup to get a nice interview with him. But they not nice, got, is there not an investigative reporter over there who could have done it? Clearly not. I think it's treading on people's toes there. Um, oh, that was distasteful. Um, he likes rugby, though. You like rugby. No, that'd be rugby union. He we we all have nothing in common. Oh, but he played at Twickenham in the Middlesex Sevens. So? I don't know what that means. No, I'm just not impressed with this man at all. <laughs> Against Fiji and Western Samoa. I don't really care. You can build it up all you want. All right, well, will be fine when he comes in the studio as per... I'm indifferent to all three of these guests. They're probably indifferent to you, to be honest, <laughs> well, as well, aren't they? So, 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 so why should I be wasting time promoting their gear? True. Oh. I'm, do you know what I'm going to do? No. Every one of these, I'm going to talk about anything but what they're promoting. Okay. And when they try to, I'm going to say, I don't know what you're on about, and just carry on talking about what supermarket they go to. I hope Mark Williams Thomas arrests you then in that case. He can't. You said he was an ex-copper. Yeah, but once a copper, you always carry the things on you, don't you? The no, we had handcuffs. this discussion with the bloke out of oh, Peter, Peter Blexley. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, I watched the last series of. And you enjoyed it? Very, very much. He's very good, isn't he? He is, but it's bollocks, isn't it? Well, what, that they can't be, they, they've found, they'll find them? The whole thing is bollocks. It's like pretty mm. much, pretty much fictionalised. Is it? I don't know. It's yeah, not supposed to be. It has to be. be. It has to be. Could you go off the grid? What do you mean? Be f- not be found? Not if you've got a camera with you who can report well, back to... There is that, yeah. <laughs> Probably not have a camera crew with you. You can probably do it on your own. But it's that... Um, and again, I've no problem with that at all. But I think when you watch it, you're like, well, this can't be real. It can't be. First off, they don't have access to CCTV, state CCTV. They can't have. Right. It's illegal. They wouldn't have. Mm. And I think they say as much in the opening titles. This yep. is some of it's reproduced. So they haven't got that. When they go, it's been spotted on ANPR and all that. It's like, no, you wouldn't know that because you, you haven't got access to those cameras. Okay. So it's been spotted, or she's been spotted, by the camera who's with them. Yeah, their own camera crew. I yeah. see, right, okay. And I saw a couple of moments where, and I really like Peter, I saw a couple of moments where he went, I think, some, and then predicted something that then happened, and I was like, bollocks. Well, he might be. He might nah. just be a good ex-copper. Nah, no chance. No okay. chance. Okay, well... That goes beyond, like, police now. Well, next time he comes in, we'll talk to him about that. Bring him in. Okay, because I want to talk to him. Remember we talked about having these um, drug shops? He won't be drug, able to drug say. Drug shops. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. Drug bars. Yet, drug bars. Um, he won't be able to say that it's fictional. No, of course he never would. He'd have to say no. But he might say it once that programme's finished, because that programme will finish at some point. Yeah, I presume yeah. it's still on, ongoing at the moment. It's a big hit, isn't it, for Channel 4? Yeah. So. But he might also have an NDA. Uh, probably does, most likely, actually. Uh, in perpetuity, so yeah. that you can never reveal it. Uh, that's a shame. Like the people on Most Haunted. 
can't reveal that they weren't really ghosts. Who are also as fraudulent as the days long. Do you mean the contestants, if that's what they are on Most Haunted? <laughs> are they contestants, would you say? I have seen one episode of Most Haunted. Yeah. However, <laughs> I know enough. What do you think happens on Most Haunted, Nat? They're running around a haunted house trying to look for ghosts. Who are? Like, general public. The general public running with a, around with a vet Fielding and Derek Akora and Sam. Okay, isn't that what you call them? Is oh. that what you call? Is that the names of the people? Like Yvette Fielding is still doing it. Derek, Derek Akora is long gone. Yeah, I, don't, I haven't kept up to date with who's on. There. Yeah, he's long gone. <laughs> there's, oh, there's another fella in there because they've got a podcast together. Yvette Fielding and him. Can't remember. Isn't she name. married to someone? On it? Is on it Carl? Works. I want to say yes, Carl. Yes, Carl. That's it. Yeah. There's a little bald man who looks like Uncle Fester. Okay. Um, the general public aren't involved. Oh, I thought they used to be, didn't they? Maybe, but the general public, I suspect, would leave there going, that was bollocks, and um, I, I saw how everything was done. Okay, so that would reveal... I know loads of crew, former crew, yeah, of Most no, Haunted. I don't think anyone thinks it's real, do they? Apart from the psychic and called Festa I psychic. think people do. I think there are people who absolutely buy into it. Right. Same way as I think, although it's less blatant, People absolutely buy into WWF or whatever it's called now. Mm. The wrestling and that. Well, there is a you do have to do some actual moves in wrestling. It's physically demanding, mm. but it's no more a, com- a contest in terms of actual. They don't know the winner. They, do you think they, than do if you they, and I played snakes and ladders or and we said chess. You, you if you and win. I played chess, that'd be, it'd be no more a contest. You would than win because I can't. I'm not very good at chess. Same, and I'm still confident I'd win. Oh really? Okay. I'm confident you would too. Do you know why I'm confident? Because Jerry Sadowitz taught me a way of winning um, in two moves. Was that just to smash the board up? No, there are two moves. Okay. I think it's two or three. It's two or three moves, and you can win a game of chess. Really? If you're playing with someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Why doesn't he play professionally? Because generally speaking, when you play professionally, the other person knows how to play chess. But if the mm. other person is very like green about chess, yeah. like, as a, I mean, would you know the basic rules of chess? Can't move a rook to the right or something. I don't know. Is there I'm, a rook? I'm not sure that's the. There's a queen king. I'm not rook. sure that would be the basic rule. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's pawns. Yeah. I, no, I haven't played. Do you know, I used to be in a chess club at school, and I've forgotten how to do it now. Did you go to the chess club? Yeah, a few times, and I got bored. And all you learnt was. Something about a rook. The rook can't go. Can't, can't go to the right or something? Oh. You've got your castles on the end. Yeah, they're not called castles, are they? They might be called rooks. I don't know what they're, they're called. called You've got your castles on the end. Yeah. Um, they can go, I believe, in straight lines, forward or sideways, I think. Mm-hmm. They can't go diagonal. Then you've got, is it bishop? Is that the horse one? No. That's a rook. <laughs> You've got, um, I think it's bishop that can go diagonally I think as yeah. far as it wants. Okay. I think. Then you've got your horse one. Yeah. Which can go in an L shape. Okay. Don't tap out of it. We've got to go. No, I'm looking. We've got to have con- like I'm content. I'm looking at the this one eye on the time, so we're calling Craig in five minutes. Okay. So, fine. I can explain chess in five minutes. So, the horse one can only go in an L shape. Two forward, one to the side. Either yeah. way. Okay. Front or back, front or back, whatever you want. Yeah. Then you've got, I'm going to guess now, a king or a queen. The queen's the better one, I think. The king can go any direction but only one move. Yeah. The queen can go any direction as far as it wants. Yes, queen. Then same on the other side. Mm-hmm. Your prawns. Little pawn ones. At the front, what can they do? Can't do anything, really, can they? Well, you just leave them on the board. <laughs> I know they're the, they're the ones... What can they just go one step forward? I think they go one step forward step. unless they're taking something, in which case they can go two. I think okay. that's right. It's well complicated. Or maybe it's, no, maybe it's first move they can go one. Yeah. And then the next move it's two. 
Either way, that's the sum total of my knowledge of chess. It's good. So you definitely would beat me. No, you're saying it's good. I might be completely incorrect. Oh, okay. I'm saying that that is my knowledge. Sounds good to me. And I played against Jerry Sadowitz at the Edinburgh Fringe in 1999, which has been very present in my life in the last week or so. And um, he beat me in two or three moves. And he got angry. That he beat you? Well, I told him I could play chess because he just walked into the box office and says, does anybody know how to play chess? And I was like, it's fucking Jerry Sadowitz. And I went, yeah, I can. And I couldn't. You couldn't. But you gave it a go. And I just wanted good. to sit with Jerry Sadowitz. I thought he'd be a nice man. <laughs> don't know why I thought that. Because his on-stage persona seems that he would be. Yeah. Off-stage, he, no, nice. he, he actually was perfectly really nice. nice yeah. yeah, perfectly quiet and, and nice. But he was pissed off right. that I didn't know how to play chess. I, I, I've never seen him live. But, I, I mean, as in brutal. there. I, but I wouldn't go because I'd be too scared. Why? Because he is brutal, isn't he? Yeah, but I don't think he, well, he rarely hits anyone. No, yeah, but he does. You know, he's not he's not kind to the audience, is he? But that's his thing, isn't it? I don't. I don't recall the times I've seen Sadowitz. I don't recall him ever even talking to the audience, like directly. Maybe I saw it on TV something. Oh, we did the People versus Joe Sadowitz. Maybe that's why. Try and get Joe Sadowitz on the show. Okay, all right. We're I bet you a thousand pounds you can't. No, I was thinking that too. <laughs> but try. Might worth it trying to get Jerry Sadowitz. Yeah, give it a go. Okay. Because that would be interesting, I think. But I don't think he does interviews. I have rarely seen him. Does he live in London? Um, I, I doubt it. Yeah. I would have thought he's still in Scotland, but I'm sure that Herring's tried to get him on his mm. Leicester Square podcast a few times and it's, it's with, with, with no joy. Right. He's a bit of a um, recluse. M- well, how how much of a recluse can you be if he's still doing gigs? I think you could be in your personal life. See, I think you could be. You can just go out and do a well, gig. Well, then I am in my personal life, aren't I? Well, you're a hermit, aren't Other you? Other than I, when I do work, when yeah. I have to leave the house. But outside of what you have to do when you're being on stage or on some or on some sort of platform. Panel show or something. Yeah, but when you're not on the week. <laughs> when, I'm in a, when I'm in a drama on yes, telly. Yes, when you're in one I've of the... I've got a film of drama on yeah, telly. Yeah, then yeah. you're not playing yourself. Or when I'm doing one of my speeches, one of my political speeches. Like the Oxford Union, you're always in there, aren't you? I would love to do the Oxford Union, because I think it'd be nice to see it empty. I think it'd be <laughs> nice to see it with just like just a couple of people there. What would you do an address about? Whatever you want. What do, no, want, what would what you do, do? What do you want me to do? Uh, I think I'd talk about my long and varied career in show business. Yeah. And then for the, the other 55 minutes... <laughs> I'd just take questions from the floor. <laughs> That's it. From so if it, we're saying it was four people there, they could just have loads of questions to say. I would just do just questions. Okay. Which I think I think what you meant is you meant to turn up and do a little chat for a yeah. bit and then the last throw 15, the floor open. Maybe in the last yeah, 15, yeah, yeah. 10 minutes. Questions. I think I'd go. No, we're going to do this back to front. Okay. So uh, any questions, then we get who are you, why you're here. That's good. What's this about? Yeah. Oh, there's snacks. Did you not think you shouldn't? You should have wore something smarter. Yeah, that's true. What would you wear? You just wear a black I'd wear t-shirt. What I'm wearing. I'd wear whatever jeans, I was, whatever I was wearing that day. And then, what would the last 15 minutes be about when you, when you did an actual talk? I think I'm able to when I'm asked a question to chat for long enough that I'd fill the time. Okay. Because I'd go off on tangents. All right. What if someone just said, "Hi, Ian. Hi. Um, not really familiar with who you are, but okay. love, love the speech so far. Thank love, you. Love the questions. Thank you. Uh, what's your thoughts about goats? About goats. Mm. Do you know what? I, on my radio show once, I interviewed a chap uh, who was talking about goats, and oh. there you go. I'm away. Not just talked about goats. He was a human goat. Yes, he lived yeah. as a goat. But that's. But I wouldn't. That's give, good. Right, that's but too easy. I'm going to build up to that's that. Too easy. That's too easy. So that's what I'd do, and that's where I'd be away. Go on. Um, hi, Ian. Hi uh, it's been a great day. Thanks so much for coming here to Oxford, prestigious Oxford University. It's a pleasure. I think it's a dumb, um, but go on. Do you like suede? 
Do I like suede? Yeah. Do you mean the band or do you mean the actual material? I think I mean the material. Um, interestingly, what's happened uh, of late is I've had to get kind of au fait with suede. Mm. Because I have been using suede in a build that I've been doing. I build props and things at my house just oh. in, my, in my hobby time. And I've been using a sort of suede, which I think I'm going to replace for the midriff of C-3PO. So C-3PO from Star Wars, he has wires down his torso. And behind that is black. So on on the screen, it's black. It's a black material. And I was advised to get some suede. I didn't know anything about suede. Mm. So I went initially to get suede. There you go. And I'm away. I think you can, I might have to call them. Because what actually happened subsequently was I was given a different material which was slightly corrugated. It was, was more like corduroy. Okay. The material I've used, which is more accurate for the film. But it's like a vinyl corduroy. What if I went... Oh, actually, no, I meant the band. The band, do you know what? I'm not particularly um, well up on suede, mm. but I did once buy it. I've, I've got two versions of suede's coming up. Oh, good album. album. I've, got, album. I've got two of them for some reason. Mm. I think, like, an ex, I ended up with their copy of it. Mm. Um, and I did have the best of Suede, or mm. I can't remember what it was called, yeah. that album, which I listened to a lot and really loved it. There's a few bands that have like that. One was, um, what's the one? Sleeper. Sleeper, very good. Sleeper, that I only ever had one album of, but really loved it. The okay. It Girl album. Yeah. And really loved it. And then, so there you go, on my way, I can Give start talking about albums then. But then what would be like a bad one for you? I know if someone went, oh, what do you think about Blur? Then you'd go on a massive riff about how you hate them, wouldn't you? Massive riff? Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, that'd be good, wouldn't that'd it? That'd be a good. Like, fill, fill more time. That's true. All right, shall we? Shall we call the Oxford and see if he wants? Shall to... we call the Oxford? Yeah. <laughs> Hello. So you're gonna call up and say hi. My name's Natalie King. You don't know me. I work at Football Radio. Oh. I've got a presenter here. You you won't have heard of, uh, but he can talk for ages. Yeah, and I think it'd be good to come and talk to your students. <laughs> yeah. So if you're ever worried about anyone coming speaking at the union, like. What's that? Come Boris Johnson or whoever. We could go on a reserve list for a late dropout. Oh, can Ian pop down? There you are, in the Oxford. I want you to do that. I want you to ring them up and say, do you you have a reserve list? (laughs) (laughs) In case someone doesn't turn up. I'd like to do it even more if they were expecting someone else. That would be good, actually. Like someone good. And I mean someone good. I don't mean someone like... Boris. uh, Yeah. Mm. If if it was someone good... And Katie Price someone there. She did a speech. I said, if it was someone good... currently four people trying to make a phone call <laughs> four go on now what are you doing i need to call from in here what are you doing so you're trying I'm to call, call do not read that number out craig de frankie on 001 stop it well that's just the America. area code isn't it quick up please thank you okay what are you doing did you do the wrong number <laughs> Nat's making a phone call at the moment go on Nat. you've um you've popped yourself at a rather seductive angle well, not intentionally. What? You, you've gone very, very hip out towards me I'm as she leans over. Listen to this. This is a bit of behind the scenes on this radio show. It's ringing. Yeah, thanks, Ella. Here we go. Ringing again. Yeah, still ringing. Second ring. Yep. Bothered, voicemail. Got voicemail for him, so that's nice. great. Nice. Um, is that is that the point where we bumped the guest? No, because we did answer it, and then he was answering, right, Rebecca? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, bit sorry. more, yeah, bit more behind the scenes chat here. Sorry, he was answering. 
you know what? I'm gonna put another song on. Yeah, put another song on. Um, so I'm gonna put another song because, as we know, I'm not very good at just filling time chatting. Well, let's pretend you're at the Oxford Union. Might give you a subject. Go on then. Buttercups. 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 I think really are a flower, or well, it's a weed, technically speaking, that I've always felt slightly bewitched by. Some people say I look like me dad. Got, got <laughs> I'm gonna come back to that. Yeah. Even though I did do an excellent you link, did do. And an excellent nice link. To be as well. That was the sort of thing. If on the news something happened and they had to pad for time, that's what I just did. Yeah, perfect. I did an excellent link. Put bewitched on at the perfect. exact moment that you got through to Craig. It was weird. Um, Craig, are you there? I am. I am. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. Um, uh, just, just yeah, afternoon. just afternoon yeah. here. What time is it there, Craig? <laughs> It's 9.35 in the a.m. Isn't that crazy? It's fantastic. <laughs> we live in different worlds. I know, I know, but yet the two worlds are colliding right now. What time do you get up at in the morning? 5.30. Do you really? Why? Yes, sir. I, I have to hit the gym early in the morning because then I start my day. Let me have a look at you. Yep, I see what you mean. Like it. Yeah. Like a true champion. Oh. Yeah, so you're, pro- you're proper ripped, aren't you? You're, you're very chiseled, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best. Do you know what though? I can understand that when you're in companies such as Pacino and Pesci and Kaitel and all that lot. Oh man, uh, are we talking about the Irishman? I think that's what we're on about. Mm, yeah, we are. Yes. Only yes. if you want to. <laughs> no, I'd love to. I'd love to. It was great. I mean, uh, I, 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 unfortunately, I've I've met uh, Pacino once, but I, I haven't met the other guys. The days that I the day that I worked on set, I uh, those guys were already wrapped and relaxing. Got you, okay. So how was that? How did you feel yeah. about that? Because I tell you what, right? I'm not. I'm honestly not bringing it back to me. But I was once in an episode of Doctor Who with David Tennant, but I never met him. Who's David? Oh, that oh, showbiz. That's, wow. that's showbiz, isn't it? Um, David Tennant played Doctor Who in you know the program Doctor Who. Oh yes. Oh great. Yes. So he was the Doctor in that, and I was in an episode nice. w- during his tenure. But I was in an episode where the Doctor didn't really appear, so I didn't work with him at okay. all. I worked oh, with yeah. Carrie Mulligan. She was in my episode. It's so it's so it's so interesting, you know. When you sometimes when you work, you're in the same film with people, and you're sometimes you're even in the same scene with people, and you don't even work with them. Yeah, imagine how it must be to like do Star Wars or something like that, where you're literally going and just they just film you against a blue screen or a green screen. Oh now. yeah, I mean that's that's a total different breed in itself. I mean you're just acting with you know with what you're imagining. Yeah, which is all acting that's, though, isn't it, Craig? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a lot of fun. That's but, part of it. But on, on, in other things, you have someone helping because they're pretending as well. Yes, I mean, so, you know, it's always uh, obviously better to work off somebody than just working off your uh, yourself. Um, from my experience, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> from my experience, it, it, it depends on the person. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, that's true. Sometimes but I you understand. learn from it anyway, but you know what? Sometimes it's better to do it solo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can I just do this at home and you can just VFX me in later on? <laughs> um, so tell me about The Irishman. Is it Netflix, The Irishman? 
Uh, yeah, uh, they produced it. I believe we're, I believe it's getting a theatrical release because it's an all-star cast and obviously uh, big Marty Scorsese's film. Yeah, uh, and then it will be and then it will be put on Netflix. But it is Netflix's biggest budget film to date. It, and it looks like it as well from the cast and obviously being Scorsese and stuff. Oh yeah, I mean it's a star-studded cast. I mean I haven't even read the script. They give you your little your scene or whatever. Just your and that's sides, it. yeah. Yeah, and even yeah, your sides, and and even when you audition, you don't even audition your scene. They give you a completely different scenario. Which wow, is incredible! Yeah, the, Marty's on the hush hush. And how do you get with someone like Scorsese? Mm-hmm. How how I'm, I'm always interested in this. By the way, whenever I speak to anyone, either huge stars themselves or people who are on the up and up, or people who have, due to circumstance, ended up in something with you know that with people that they've grown up watching or whatever. It's. It, I mean, to, to be honest, that's a dream come true. Of I mean, course. you know, when he's when you know, obviously, you know, I'm in my trailer. I get to set, and then uh, Marty comes to you, and and you're walking. He's walking towards you, and you're like, "Holy cow, that's Martin Scorsese!" And then you have to get over that nostalgia. Oh my God, I'm really working with him uh, for about two minutes, and then all of a sudden you have to be like, "Okay, it's time to work." Yeah, it's job time, and, isn't it? But, oh yeah, but, it's job. It's, but what I'm, what I'm always interested in in those situations is how the person at the epicenter of that, so Scorsese himself, because yes. I'm always impressed with people who who understand and appreciate what they bring with them. So, mm-hmm. like uh, from all accounts, Spielberg's very much like that as well, where he's very accommodating and, and understands the weight of what being Sp- Steven Spielberg brings into a room. So he's he his behaviour constantly um, makes that easier for people that are starstruck. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, obviously, uh, well, Steven Spielberg, he was one of the one of uh, the people who jettisoned the Green Book when he saw it, and that's what brought Universal and DreamWorks onto onto the Green Book. Wow. Okay. Uh, but just, yeah, but speaking of uh, Marty, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I guess I guess when you're at that caliber, you understand, you know, people are enamored by you and, and love your work and, and are really, really just big fans of yours, so they take that into consideration and yeah, act yeah. accordingly. Totally, totally. Which is, which is ace, isn't it? And that's a, that's a brilliant way, that's a brilliant self-understanding and also the most productive way of being if you're going to have to be working as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you have to, I mean, you know, you have to give people a chance to give over the, the, the wow factor and then you get down to brass tacks and, and get to work. At what stage would I be um, justified in referring to Martin Scorsese as Marty? Uh, I, I think based on the first introduction. Do you know, you know thing- Of course, <laughs> Go on. I, wor- I walk up to him and I'm, I, I said Mr. Scorsese and he, he said to call me Marty and I still refer to him as Mr. Scorsese. I couldn't get over it. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> so, should I make, so when, when you introduced me to him ultimately... Okay. Um, Which will be next week? Yeah, well, whenever, whenever. I mean, it doesn't have to be. We can, no do, this, we can do it this week if you want. Oh, um, oh okay. okay. Uh, when, but when you do, when, when that actually happens, I don't. I'm, I'm not going to go in with Mr. Scorsese. I think that's too reverent. I think, even though, I, even though I feel the reverence towards him, I mm-hmm. think I, I would come across, and I don't mean you, but I would come across as slightly sycophantic. Oh wow! So what are you going to, what are you going to call him? Um, mate, maybe I might call him mate. Oh, that's All right, mate. Cool. I might do that. All right, mate. That w- that would work. I think that. Oh, mate, he'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah bit, bit. all but, right. But I'd, I'd quite like to just get to the point of calling him Marty quite quick. Yes, yes. I mean, you, you have to get over that, and it, it sounds with your 
with your verve and yep. your perseverance, yep. I think that's going to happen very, very soon. The problem, and the problem is as well, he won't notice it because I, I think my my perseverance is very well hidden under an air of indifference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I can see that. Yeah, so I've got my under, I've got my subplot, if you will, <laughs> which is going on. There's a different arc going on beneath. Yeah, hey mate, well, nice to meet you, Marty. I like Goodfellas. We're a good movie. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll crack on. I'm not saying it. <laughs> I'll, I'll say, oh yeah, good. I believe Goodfellas very good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> few few people have said that to me. I'll say that. Pretty good. You know, it was funny. Uh, I was at, I was at the Green Book premiere, and uh, I walked by Nick Pileggi, one of the writers of of Goodfellas, yeah. and and totally blew me away. And I, I said, hey, hey, I'm I'm Craig DeFrancia. Nice to meet you. I said, I said, Nick, I have to tell you, I can probably quote every single line from Goodfellas. <laughs> And he goes to me, he goes, oh, well, that's great, Craig. Just in case I forget a line, I can always call you. <laughs> Isn't that weird, classic. though? So that, that, that's, the other, that's the other side of the coin where people who, are, who have that reverence about <laughs> them can just fuck with the people. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, that'll come in useful in your life, won't it? <laughs> what am I meant to do? Be impressed. I wrote it in the first place, mate. You've just copied me. I <laughs> know. Um, oh, that's great. That's great. But let's get this uh, Marty thing sorted out. <laughs> yeah, so we got the Marty and the Nick thing sorted out. It's very yeah. easy. Well, just just a, a last point on Martin's Casado, Marty or Mate, as I call him. Mate. Um, MS or MS. When you introduce us, mm-hmm. okay. In fact, do you know what would be nice for me actually, Craig, is if you like give him the heads up on who I am anyway, and then that way he can approach me rather than me approaching him. Mm, oh wow, that would be that would be pretty. Yeah, that would be pretty bold. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think yeah. We could, I think we could work it. You know what? I, I mean, when you come to when you come to New York, we'll put yeah. you in the back room at the Tribeca Grill, where uh, okay. you know he loves to go. We'll, we'll have, you and I will have a nice glass of. Uh, we'll have Negronis. Yeah, and we'll sit down and we'll have some cocktails, and I'll escort him in as you're sitting there with your fedora on yeah. and your boa tilted slightly, tilted slightly. <laughs> I think it'll be a great experience. Yep. Can you make sure, if we arrive in the afternoon, can we get it? I mean, this sounds awfully um, prima donna-ish of me, but I would like this to happen. Could we make sure that we arrive in the afternoon and light it right? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll have the crew there at 5 a.m. like I usually do, and then we'll light it up for you. And what, what, how do you want it set up? Do you want, like, an afternoon setting, an evening setting? Well, I, I would like um, predominantly uh, electric blue is what I want. So I, I want an, an, a, like a sort of a neon electric blue feel to it. Even though I know that's slightly incongruous with the setting, that's what I would like. Okay. Uh, wow, that's, all right, that, that could be a tall order. But you know what? For you, Ian... I, I'll jump through hoops, buddy. That's not, well. That's not the end. That's not the end, Craig. I have a quite quite <laughs> no, a few no. actually ideas that I would like to sort out. Um, could you okay, also sort okay. out the one of the waiters, mm-hmm. the people waiting on the tables and stuff, um, for them just before Marty arrives? So when mm-hmm. we're aware his car's getting close, if they could bring bring a telephone to the table, you know, like when they in old films they will carry a phone to the table because a call's coming through. Yes, yes, rotary. Yeah, so they bring that to the table so I can be on a call when Marty arrives. What I, what I would like is is when Marty approaches the table for me to acknowledge him with my eyes yes. and to just like sort of pop a finger up as I carry give on my the, conversation. Give the one second. Give yeah. the one second, Marty. I'll, I'll be right with you. I'm no, I won't, I won't even call. say that. I'll do it all with my eyes. I'll, I'll be like, I'll, I'll sort of nod and go, yeah, I've seen you. Absolutely. Um, okay. And then he can wait and you can say, sorry, Ian, Ian is kind of busy, but um, he has made time in his schedule to speak to you today, yeah. Marty. And then, 
would, would Marty say, call me Marty, to me? Would he say that to me? He may. He may, you know. I mean, he's a very nice guy, and he's always very accommodating, so I'm sure he's going to enjoy the, the neon blue lighting as well as yep. the patiently waiting to speak with you. Well, we're both going to enjoy that. All of us will look good. It's not just me that will look We'll all look good under blue light. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Blue is my color. And I'll say, do you know what, same, the darker the better. And what I'll do is I will gesture to the seat opposite me. So Marty, okay. so Marty knows to sit down. Great. And then Great. It, it, did you want me to have it labeled uh, Marty or me? <laughs> the, the seat. I think I think we should just leave it as it is. I don't, I don't think he, I don't think we're getting to the point where we need a, a label. Okay. Okay. On the I just seat. want to make sure. I want to make. I want to accommodate everything you need when you come to New York. Yeah. Neon light, the waiter with the rotary phone. Uh, what color would you like the rotary phone? Would you like blue? Uh. No, because I think if it's blue, there's a chance that it'll just disappear in, in blue light. So I think... Great thinking. Make it red, and then that way it will appear black. Wow. And who do you want to be calling you? I don't worry about that. I'll just be making it up. Okay. All right. That's fine. Well, I wanted to bring some realism. Who would he be impressed by? Who would, who would Martin Scorsese be impressed by? That's a good question. Uh, you know what? Maybe we put his uh, his wife on the phone. Craig, I've got an idea, I've got an idea, I've got an idea. Right, are you due to work with Scorsese again? Uh, I, I would I would definitely love to. It hasn't happened yet. Right, fine. Right, well then, well then here we go, well then here we go, here's the plan. Okay, right, so you bring him to the table, I'm on the phone already. I will, I will be halfway through a conversation, but I will be able to drop into that conversation some sort of, some sort of tragedy stroke, um, impending doom within your life. So I, I will talk about something bad that's happening to you that you're, and I'll say, and Craig's keeping it really quiet, he's not telling anybody about it. Um, okay. And that way, Marty will be like, oh, I'm like pretending not to listen. But he'll be like, what's, go here. what's going on with Craig? What's going on? He's like, God, it sounds like Craig needs as much help as possible. Wow. Marty will go wow. home, right, good fellas, whatever it's up to. Two. 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 Yeah. Two. Yeah. So you're saying we'll get like a sympathy casting out of it? Are, are, are you averse to that? No. Just get, it no. Where you, get it where you get it, mate. Take it. Take it where you get it, buddy. Yeah. I'm in. And then I'll I'll say something about my life as well, going all horribly wrong, and see if I can just get. I'll, I envisage myself playing a, a Pesci style role. Wow, what, that would I would love to see that Ian. I love it. We all, I think mm -hmm. we all would. Crazy. You got to pull your hair back yeah. in a nice ponytail. I could do that. Like yeah, it? I could do that. Right. I'm not losing my hair yet, but I, I wouldn't be averse to just shave in the front. No, no, leave it, man. That's it's it's very radical. I love it. Yeah. I love it. He, he'll love it too. Yeah. And then um, I hope during the conversation when we're chatting, because you'll have gone, I'm, I don't want you to be at the table. When me and Marty are chatting and you're waiting outside, <laughs> right? Oh, no, wow. I, Do you think that'll work well? I think it would be, I think it'd be better for me to get stuff for you if you're not there. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to, you know what? If, if I have to leave it in your hands and leave it yep. to the gods of acting, I yep. will. We'll, we'll do that, and I, and I'll like like be, I'll be kind of charming and funny, and when Marty says you're funny, I will I'll go like how the fuck am I funny, and I'll, I'll do what all do you that. Mean funny. Yeah, I'll do funny all that. How? Yeah, like, exactly exactly that. Make you laugh. Do you think he'll know you what know I'm on about? <laughs> yeah. <I don't> know. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be great <laughs> to do that dead that straight with Casey, and then go? Do you know what I'm doing? <laughs> <laughs> Do you get it? Do you get it? <laughs> you're out. You're out. That's it. That's it. I'm done with you. <laughs> um, 
So are you? Are you like? You're, I'm guessing your eye of the storm now, aren't you? With the Irishman, it's like sort of you're in the middle of this becoming a thing, and it must be hugely oh. exciting. Yes, I mean, it, it was great. It's a great experience. I mean, now, you know, the, the storm, you're right, the, the storm is building, the storm is building. They just dropped a trailer a couple of days ago. They dropped a teaser about two weeks ago. Right. And all my friends and, and, and mates are, are asking me, you know, when is the movie coming out? When is the movie coming out? I'm like, you know, whenever Mr. Scorsese says it's ready, that's when Marcy, the movie will Marcy, come out. Marcy, please, please, Marcy. Oh, Marty, I'm sorry. And, uh, mate. Mate. Whatever, whatever mate says. <laughs> whatever mate says. <laughs> 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 so the trailer for the Irishman's dropped already. So that is, I guess it's on YouTube and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, the trailer is out. It looks great. I mean, you know, uh, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I just hope I don't up, end up on the cutting room floor. Let's don't matter. Do you know what? It, it, you won't. But it doesn't matter. I, I always, right. I genuinely feel that. And then in certain projects. Mm-hmm. I again. I think if I, I've I've no acting ambition at all. I, I used to have. Well, I trained as an actor, but I don't now at all. I've got no interest in acting now. But I think had I been in the same situation that you're in now, I I would have been philosophical from the off of going. Do you know what? I don't care if this film runs out of money. I don't care if it never gets wow. e- even released. I don't care because it's the the work and the actual experience is. It, it being put on celluloid or what you know on digital, it, it's neither in or there. Whether that happens, is it? When you've had the experience of it, you know. I mean, this this was. I mean, this was one for the bucket list that uh, you know to get to work with the, the the one of the one of the top, if not the top director ever to work with him yeah. was the best experience in the world. As as an Italian American and as an actor, um, to be just to get any kind of screen time in such a prolific film and, and with such a great cast it would be the mecca but you know what I, I can go to my grave right now and say I work with the best of the best and I'm happy well, well, I'm well, well your experience will far exceed anything that anybody gets watching it you know the, the actual the, you were the person that was there I guess so I, oh yeah I, I, yeah, yeah I think it's, it's it's sort of beyond my comprehension really but I think it's Ian, I mean, to see him to see him work, and you know, I mean, uh, he's behind all the monitors. He's watching the monitors, and you know, uh, after we shot the scene, you, he he would he would watch he would watch the take, and he, when he's watching, he becomes one with film. He is so animated, like he's making all these facial expressions as it's going on, and and he's making these grunting faces and yeah. like elevated faces. I mean, he I've never seen somebody so one with film. As I've seen uh, uh, our mate, I think I'm like that. I think I'm like that when I direct. Are you like that as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think I make. A, I think I make loads of faces. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's all I do, Craig. I'll go and watch yeah. your trailer, right, for the Irish Man. Will you go and watch the trailer for my film? Okay. Okay. He sounds, sounds like he's not gonna. No, because he sounds like he's not sure if you're being serious or not. I am. I'm directing a film at the moment, and I'm in it as well. Go for it. It'd be a similar budget, I would imagine, to what you've just done. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll watch The Irishman and you watch The Parapod Movie oh. it's on YouTube The Parapod Movie it's about a podcast about ghosts ok alright you gotta send it over you gotta uh, email that to me and I'll just, take a look it's just on YouTube Craig Are you, oh so you've worked with Martin Scorsese now and you're too important to search oh. something on YouTube wait what's his name Martin what Marty <laughs> Oh Marty oh, okay. Right okay You, you had it. You had the last laugh Craig <laughs> <laughs>
sometime. You win this round, and with that, yeah. I will flounce out of the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> whilst chucking a Molotov cocktail over my shoulder. No, don't do that. And walking off with the explosion happening behind me. Um, dude, it's been genuine pleasure chatting with you. Man, great. Thank you for the time. Love your show, dude. No problem you at totally all, man. rock. And I'm, I, totally I am, rock. I am brilliant, aren't I? Oh, br- you are. You are the jam in my jelly roll. <laughs> That's all I ever wanted. <laughs> Take care, Craig. Thanks for joining us. Guys, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Bye bye. Thank you guys. Bye bye. Still there. He's still there, Craig. Yeah. Still chatting away. Yes, I am. Oh, Oscar Listen, winning. look, Canary's still there. Look at him still. It's just. It's like he doesn't want to go. Hey, well <laughs> he just done. doesn't want to go. Well done for the Oscar, Craig. <laughs> How do we do? Do we do all right? We're, we're still on there. We're still on there, mate. Yeah, we did brilliantly. We we all did brilliantly. I see no reason why the audience shouldn't hear us congratulating ourselves. <laughs> I am definitely going to go now, though. Oh, man, that's great. Please look me up. Call me. I'll take you out to dinner. There we go. Oh, there we go. And everyone nice. thinks that was behind the scenes, and it wasn't. There they go. All right, no, we'll do that. We're going to do that for sure. And I'm going to be in the next Gossese. Oh, my God, that's great. Isn't it? <laughs> that was so funny. And the waiter, too, with the phone. <laughs> yeah, I'm all over it, mate. <laughs> cheers, Craig. Take care, man. Bye. Cheers, cheers. Keep Bye-bye. smiling. Have a great show. You Thank too, man. Bye bye. Nice. I think he did think we were off air. What was their fucking problem? Bewitched? Yeah. That was a good song, what do you mean? I just think this just the... You're going to put another... <laughs> shut the... The door's open. Door is wide, yeah. Door's wide open. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I thought you were going to put another song on or something. Why? I didn't know what's happen- to? No, no, it's okay. That was, in fairness, that was only a bit of a song. Half of a song. Because I, um, I was networking and schmoozing. Well, you literally are, because... Craig DeFrancia. You can go to New York. Did you hear that, everybody? So yeah. I don't know if you heard that or not, but... Craig thought we were off air and he was like, go, he essentially went, um, can I be your best friend? Is what oh, he, he, he said. He said, when he comes to New York, we'll go out for yeah. dinner. We'll take I'll, you I'll out take for you dinner. to dinner. Yeah. Now... I, let's not get too good here. Okay. You don't think it's going to have me whacked or something, do you? We can't rule it out. But I don't think so. Because it could be a situation you. where I arrive at this restaurant and stuff. Mm. He's very, very charming. Yeah. And then he goes, did you have a nice time you were at a child? I was like, yeah, oh, it was great. We had a great laugh, didn't we? I really enjoyed chatting to you. Oh, did you? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then oh. he'll stare at me. And I'll be like, what? And he'll be like, funny, it was funny, was it? Did you, did you have a nice time making me look... Make me look stupid. You didn't, you didn't. And I'll be going, Craig, come on, man. And he'll be going, don't fucking man me. Right. Like yeah. that. I mean, I'll be very aware that there's people at my shoulder when I'm sat down. They'll be either side of you so you can't move. And I'll go, okay, well, this is a bad idea. And I'll, mm. I'll start to stand up and I'll two no. hands on my shoulders push me push down. down and I'll yeah. go, well, fuck, hands off, off the cloth, mouth, I'll go like that. I mean, you know at this point you're going to be whacked anyway. You might as well, go might as well get the catchphrases in, might exactly. I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I hope it's quick. I mean, it is. Remember, you've seen Goodfellas, obviously, I can mm, tell. So when mm. they whacked... Can you tell? Spoiler. Can you tell? Spoiler. I mean, it was out 20 years ago. Often, Wait, Joe, it's, Joe it's Pesci. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. That he didn't know that he was being whacked, obviously. No idea, did he? No. Until the moment. And, and he walks in and he's like, oh, shit, they're all here. And then yeah. 
they do it in the back of the head. It was quick for Joe Pesci, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, it wasn't so quick in Casino. If he's in Casino. Um, oh, God, not for years. I need to watch that again. It wasn't so quick for Joe Pesci well, in Casino. So, so he wasn't a particularly nice character. And I remember him He never is, pushing... is he, in, in any films, really? Well, he's I, not. He's horrible. In Casino, he keeps pushing Sharon Stone's head into his lap, he doesn't, doesn't he? doesn't keep doing it, does he? Once. Does it, does it, does it, that's the scene that stuck out <laughs> He's not me. ruining films. <laughs> <laughs> he's not ruining all the scenes, mate. Joe, could you leave Sharon alone, please? <laughs> so... Yeah, he doesn't. Well, he plays a nice character in Home Alone, sort of. No, not really. He's a burglar. He's a burglar. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Okay. So, he attempts to abduct a child. Good point. My cousin Vinny. Again, still a bit of a crook, but yeah, more sympathetic. More sympathetic. Mm. Um, he must have been And nice. there was a great song where he did an album called Vincent Lagardia Gambino, which I think was the name of the character. Okay. Um, sings. It's called that. Oh. And um, he had an amazing song called Take Your Love and Shove It. Mm hmm. Which we do you know what we should just try and find, find that. It, yeah. Can we can try, Rebecca, can we can try we and find Joe please? Pesci um, singing "Take Your Love and Shove It"? It yeah. might be "Take Your Love and Shove It." It'll be a big fat ass. Um, it's, it's a brilliant song. Oh, okay, it's oh, a brilliant yeah. song. Try great, great use that. of horns. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, in Casino, how does he get whacked? Uh, middle of the desert. Classic. Vegas desert. Mm-hmm. Him and his brother. Mm. Is that that's not strip, De Niro? Is strip it? down to the pants. No. Okay. Um, and they basically baseball bat both of them to death in front of each other. Well, the, the, I think there is a line there where he said he's all, leave him, he's already dead, leave him, he's already dead. When they when they're um, still hitting him with a baseball yeah. bat, and Pesci says that about his brother. It's horrible. Given this, so which when doesn't you seem like a, a justifiable mm. punishment for pushing Sharon Stone's head it, into. It, who, he by, did more who, than that. By, yeah, but, but it, it wasn't. It was consensual, right? It wasn't. Uh, yeah, it was consensual. They were having was, a thing, weren't they? But um, De Niro's wife. Yes, yes. So it was. They were like kissing and stuff. It wasn't. Yeah. Uh, that she was doing it under duress. But, no, no, But no. he was just very aggressive in yeah, the way he was doing it. But, yeah. I think I need to watch that film again because I rewatched Goodfellas and remember how much it's amazing. Particularly the scene which you mentioned earlier with Joe Pesci with like something funny. Yeah, all the films are Goodfellas, Casino, Godfather One Two, even things that I'm not a fan of Godfather. Oh really? Really not? No. Once no. Upon a Time in America, good film. I don't, I'm not sure I've ever seen it all the way through. It's long, but it's good. Yeah. Um, Raging Bull and stuff like that, oh, I really yeah, yeah. like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're good. Um, the good late night films if mm. you if you're still awake. But they're quite long, so for me they're only eight. Like, I wouldn't pop it on at midnight. Do, would you want them like splitting up into episodes? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna play. Yes. Um. This song. Okay. Sounds and then good. we're going to bring in Mark Williams, Mark Williams Thomas. Thomas, which we've still not established what he is. He's an award-winning investigative reporter and criminologist. Ooh, maybe you'll end up getting married. Minus there, Nat. Oh, is it doing that weird thing? We were in minus. See, it's still on. Yeah. It's like a tube, tube train, or all tuck it out. train or something. I'll tuck it out from singing. Uh, we're joined now by Mark Williams Thomas. Hello, sir. Oh, good afternoon. How are you? Very good. Um, I've seen on your um, right up your blurb here that you're a criminologist. Yeah, so you used to be a police detective in yep. Surrey. Nat mm-hmm. knew that. She I did. knew that. She I did. Know that. I was yeah. just, 
Did you arrest her as a kid? Uh, doesn't look I've changed familiar. how I look, so oh, I have you? changed my looks completely. Oh, okay, and yeah. name as well? Yeah, I'm not called Still Natalie wanted, really. still yeah. wanted for an yeah. instance at the spa shop. Uh, okay, we'll find out more about that later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, now make television programs, investigative yeah. reporter, and obviously have made a few programs that probably people have heard about. Okay, Savile, Oscar Pistorius, yeah, and book out on the twenty seventh of June, which actually My is birthday. a very important day. My birthday, your birthday, hunting killers. Can't cannot stress enough mm. that that is my birthday. Twenty seventh of June. What's the book called? Uh, hunting killers, which is out on my birthday. Twenty seventh of June, hunting killers. Ian Bolger's so birthday. When audience book. of the show are thinking about what to get me on my mm. birthday, that should remind yourself. That you are to get hunting killers. Yes. At the same time, in hardcover. Yes. Hardcover, so it'll look good on the shelf. Do you keep dust jackets on your books if the hardcovers? Uh, uh, probably not. I don't. No. But people look at me like I'm daft. Why? Why well, don't I you? think when you take the dust jacket off, it just looks classier on the shelf. Uh, hmm. Yeah. And I've been, I've like been quite a lot of dust jackets over the years. What has tripped me up now, though, is some of the comic books that I sometimes buy the hardcovers. Now, when you take the dust jacket off, mm. doesn't even say what the book is on the side. Mm. Yeah, you need to know what the book's called. Yeah, yeah, makes it easy. Definitely got to find. know. Yeah, that'll do, won't it? Is that good enough interview? Yeah, that's it. Thanks for coming <laughs> in. Thanks for coming in. Um, I'll tell you what. I've got. A, I'm going to ask you a curveball question Go first then. of all, um, which is something that just occurred to me when I was reading through your stuff um, to see how you feel about this. Um, I've got a pal. Yep. a friend who, and I won't give any, any details at all about this, who was um, involved relatively directly in quite a high-profile murder case. Right. Okay? Uh, many, many years ago. Um, and he now uh, finds it very problematic when that's brought up again for mm. TV, or when, it, you know, when they do a retrospective stuff yep. about it, or when it's... It, he says when, when it's all just brought up again and they start getting phone calls again yeah and all that stuff from tv companies mm. and he he very much feels like it, it, it just let it go because this is really yeah. hurting them yeah um every time it's brought up and to what level as a journalist or as a reporter to what level is that taken into account yeah i think we have a duty to take that into account but yeah of course it doesn't always happen i mean we saw james bolger's case recently mm. Mm. when the television program they didn't consult with Denise at all. No, it was a movie, wasn't it? It was a film. It was a uh, short film, I believe. Yeah, a short film, documentary. Yeah. And, of course, they didn't consult with Denise, so there was no communication with her. And mm. to suddenly see that on television is a really mm. upsetting thing. Yeah. We take great care to make sure that even if the individuals, uh, the people concerned, aren't part of the programme. So, for example, when we did Oscar Pistorius, mm. we asked Reva Steenkamp's family if they wanted to be involved, and they didn't want to be involved. Yeah. What we will then do is tell them what's in the programme. So they didn't suddenly switch on television and get a surprise. Mm. Uh, and I think we have a duty to do that. And, of course, for some people, these stories stay alive forever. Yeah. For example, Jill Dando, anniversary mm. coming up soon. Mm. And for those people who are involved in that case, to constantly see it in the public headline, and particularly when it's a really big case, because it will continue. We have this almost macabre fascination about major crime. Sometimes as, a, as an audience, we do. Mm. We do. But do we have a? And I'm, I'm honestly not. No, it's fine. Conversational talk. Yeah, no. Um, but even when you said that, we you know we consulted with the family and all that. Yeah. So my friend, even the phone call. Yes. He, he, he certainly wouldn't yeah. play ball with it at all. Certainly yeah. wouldn't. But even the phone call. Yeah. Would really, I mean, dangerously upset him. Yes. 
No, I get that. And I think the problem is, is what do we make television for? Do we make it for voyeuristic elements so that people can just simply watch that? Or do we make it for a purpose? Now, when I make my programs, they're always for a purpose. Am I, can I find new evidence out? Are there witnesses out there that will come forward? Yeah. Or crucially, am I putting information into the public domain that's not already known? So, for example, when I did some work around Giordano, we very much looked at the failings of the police investigation. Mm. Um, and in Was anyone ever brought to rights over that? Over well, was anyone ever found guilty no, Bar- officially? Barry George was, and then yeah. Barry George was acquitted. Yeah. It clearly wasn't Barry George mm. in any way at all. Yeah. Um, so I think it is really difficult, particularly those really big cases. Your friend, you know, to get that phone call, whether or not he's involved in yeah. it, is a difficult thing. And I, I mean, even even this now concerns me because I know that he would listen to the yeah. show. So even the fact I've even referenced it yes. without giving any details Absolutely. at all. Um, even that is, yeah. is problematic. So yeah. I mean, I suppose I'd apologise for that, really. Yeah. But, but you know, I mean, the one thing I would say is that if it's an unsolved case, then I think we as a society have a duty to keep it alive and keep looking at it. Okay. And whilst that's very traumatic, when I did the last investigator series, and we looked at a serial killer Angus Sinclair in mm-hmm. Scotland, and we spoke to some of his victims' families. Now, this is a multiple killer. He was responsible well in excess, I think, of 12 murders. And we spoke to some of those families members, and they said, we've been let down by the police consistently. Mm. Mm. He's in jail now. He's not going to get uh, another trial. Uh, and we kind of like, do we let it go? And I said, I get that. But we mustn't ever forget these people. You know, we have this situation. The New Zealand Prime Minister actually was really good in the way that she said, I don't want to ever talk about the name of yeah. the terrorist. Yeah. What I want to do is talk about the names of the victims. If yeah. I said to you, you tell me the names of the Yorkshire Rippers victims, you won't know. I would, but... I wouldn't. Okay. Most people Majority wouldn't. Most people, people wouldn't. wouldn't. Yeah. No. And that's the same with other things. Now, if it's a small case, Holly and Jessica Wells, we know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But some of these larger cases, we we focus on the offender rather than the victim. Yeah. And in fact, that's a, a mindset which is which is really damaging for those people. And yeah, I'm yeah. always the one that says, you know what, we mustn't forget these cases. There are cases out there that over time will become forgotten mm-hmm. because the media loses track of it and they don't get onto the internet and they drop off. Um, and we struggle enough as a police force now to even investigate crimes that are happening on a doorstep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, there's some work that I'm doing at the moment with a mate of mine, Will Geddes, who uses special ex-special forces people, and we're going to team up, and we're going to go and catch the baddies. Right. So nice. what we're going to do is we're going to run a load of stings around, and we're going to catch the people who are causing the problems, because police can't do it. Yeah. You know, yeah, we're going to make a bit of fun. We're going to do it as a television program. But what we are going to do is we're going to ultimately catch them and hand them over to the police yeah. and get the public on board and say, come on, listen, tell us what's ba- happening bad in your area and we'll go and do it. We'll go and film it. We'll run some surveillance and we'll get the baddies on the street. No, not at the spa shop. That would be one of the episodes no. I would like to see. What, me? I'll never confess. Don't matter if you confess or not as long as you get your bangs of rights. Can't get me. You'll never catch me. Well, there's a... See that? See the threat? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm interested. I'm interested in the um, what that need is. What like what that from the public perception? What yeah. what that need is and what it actually is or isn't. So I will happily late at night before I go to bed or whatever whack on whatever channel it's called. But there's one that's always got like Britain's most notorious killers and all that yeah, sort I've of thing. No, it's not. It's like one of the digital channels. The crime investigation, something, something like, like that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah something like that. And um, I'll happily sit through again. I'll happily sit mm. through a Yorkshire Ripper program again. Mm. I'll happily, you know, because I find that case intriguing, and I, and I, I think that's a personal thing as well. I wasn't directly involved in it, but I think because I grew up as a kid when that was happening and was in Lancashire, okay. Yet 
terrified of it mm. like really scared you know the, yeah. the media coverage of that oh. was terrifying yeah and the wayside jack and all that sort yeah, of business yeah. all added to the yeah. to, to that i mean it was it's an iconic crime that actually yeah. you speak to people of our generation um, and they'll know about it. I think you speak to people of the younger generation coming through, and they probably yeah. don't know about it so much. They do become informed in it because they're fascinated by crime programs. Yeah. When we yeah. are investigators, there's the uh, analogy when they look at it, the type of people who watch our program, 64% are women. Mm. You know, women have this fascination of crime. Mm. And I don't know what that says about the female uh, race in terms of how they are fascinated by crime greater than men. Mm. Obviously, males commit far far greater crimes than women anyway um, but they do they soak it up and when there's ever any of these major cases I mean why do we why are we fascinated with major crime because in one way we're actually quite terrified of it because we always mm. have that fear is it going to affect us um, but we are fascinated it so when when it starts to sit on the front covers I mean Madeleine McCann Madeleine McCann sold papers yeah. you know and it continues to do so today and it's worldwide when I went out there, out there and covered it I can tell you the amount of press that were there was absolutely phenomenal i was there within 24 hours on the scene in pride de Luz. and when we went to the um town hall to do the first press briefing which was the strangest thing three guys at the front of this hall uh, one was in an army outfit one was in a navy outfit one was a police officer uh, and they really didn't have a clue i think what they were talking about but they were suddenly this world media was on them. Every single outlet across mm. the world was filming it. And we've then continued to soak that up thereafter. You know, the Americans, and they go massive on it. You know, they fly out there, mm. their 60 minutes to do a massive on the scene over there. And then, and then we look at all the other cases that, that hit the headlines. We do become fascinated by it. But I think we're fascinated sometimes in the wrong way. Yeah, well, well the, the, the trace back from what, from what you said yourself there, the trace back from, from the, the Madeleine McCann case... As you said, that sells papers, that actively it sells does. papers. So the trace back is financial. Yes. Which really, when you balance that yeah. <laughs> in reality, is really rather Well, you can see why programs it? do it. You can see why, pro why program makers continue to make those types of programs mm. because it does sell. Yeah. And, you know, when I, when I went over and covered Oscar Pistorius, and I spent a lot of time with Oscar, and I'm still in contact with Oscar now, right. you know, his, his, uh, his status was selling it round the world. I mean, this is the third most famous person in South Africa at the time, Nelson Mandela, uh, Desmond Tutu, and him. Mm. And and so, of course, that picks up worldwide attention. And some cases do more so than others. I mean, it is very clear that the likes of Madeleine McCann, that, that created the attention it did because it was white middle class. Mm. You know, it, it, some people would say that's the wrong thing to say, but it's the reality. If you have certain individuals in different areas, so for example, when Tia Sharp went missing mm. around the time of the Olympics, mm. and I accept that it was a busy time, it took a long time to get that into the media attention because she wasn't white middle class. She was coming from a, a low society on a council estate. Well, so was, well, so was Bulger, and so was no, absolutely. Um, who was the girl that went missing? Who Shannon Matthews? Uh, yeah, who Shannon, ultimately? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Shannon yeah. Matthews. I mean, I went up and covered. Shannon Matthews, and I have to say, you know, Dewsbury sounds like a beautiful place. If you imagine Dewsbury to be, I was in Lancashire, I was at the police headquarters in Lancashire, and I think <laughs> said to me, Would you go up and cover it? So I get a, this, this uh, driver picks me up, takes me up to Dewsbury, and we couldn't quite get into Dewsbury itself because they were doing stops on cars. And I thought, What a beautiful place! I walk in, if you've ever been to Dewsbury, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's not the most beautiful place. And I walked in there, and this council estate, and there was women walking, it's not around. its fault, I should point out. It's, it's not Dewsbury's Dewsbury. fault that it's a shit tip, no, it, it's it, not it, no. <laughs> it's yeah, the, it, yeah. that, that is actually the fault of posh people in the 80s is, is the whole reason. What did know, they do to Dewsbury? Well, Dewsbury was hit heavily by the Thatcher area right, and heavily okay. by, the, you know, all, all areas in that area. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's real Where, poverty there now. No, it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. But, but do you know what? Same, say you could certain elements of Barnsley, certain yeah. elements of yeah. Wakefield. Yeah. Yes. You know, all these old mining towns are now yeah. that were decimated are still yeah. feeling, you know, the after effects. So yeah. I'm always very conscious of going. Oh, it's yeah, a shit yeah. tip because it's like, well, it mm. kind of it's a beautiful place. No, absolutely. It's just it a is, ghetto. It is. But <laughs> I think the problem is, is it conjures up this idea of a beautiful idyllic place, and you end up there. And of course, it in the reality, it presents itself as something very, very different. Yeah. And I think what Shannon Matthews' case gave us was an insight into a different world. Yeah. You know, how did Shannon Matthews possibly think she was going to suddenly get away with finding Shannon mm. you know, uh, under the bed? You know, how did yeah. she possibly think that was going to be an occurring? And I, and I think her point of view, I mean, she was offered one of the local supermarkets said to her, you can go around the supermarket with a shopping trolley and you can fill up whatever you want, you know. She then fills it up with electrical items, TV, all those types of things. And, you know, that kind of gives you a bit of an insight mm. in terms of yeah. that mindset. But they're a fascinating case. And, yeah. of course, when we have rolling news as well, you know, Sky News, for example, you know, Sky News' fascination with rolling news when those things, you know, the um, Ipswich Killer, you know, that was unfolding live and yeah. people just mm. consume that. I went When I went to Madeleine McCann, I covered that on the ground for probably about... Uh, 14 days and, and in the meantime I was due to have a meeting with Robson Green because I used to do a bit of work with Robson Green was he a suspect? Actually fishing. Wasn't, no. <laughs> fishing, fishing not fishing not no. fishing no. No, he was uh, doing a lot of those pro crime programmes oh, wasn't yeah, he yeah. so um, anyway and I, of course he was yeah he was and I he came was. back and uh, and we rearranged a meeting came back to the meeting and this probably about two hours of this meeting was just solely talking about Madden McCann he'd just consumed it he, mm. well, he'd just been watching telly yeah. so it just goes to show you that type of thing it sells books, it makes money in terms of programmes, and of course it sells newspapers. And, mm. and I think we are, as a society, consumed very often by crime. And don't forget, the papers set the public agenda for the day. Of course. Well, yeah, yeah to a degree. By and large. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, it's kind of sinister, though, isn't it? It's kind of like taking the crime itself out of the equation. It's kind of because you, then you can get into all sorts of conspiracies about that sort of thing. And like, you know, you know, the, you, you could argue from a media point of view, the best thing that ever happened in the McCann case is when people started speculating that, that, that the parents were involved, because then they've got, as you say, mm -hmm. then they've got an ongoing narrative. Then mm. yeah. the best thing that could happen in the Bulger case from a media point of view is, oh, it mm. was two kids that did it. Yes. The best thing that could happen in Shannon Matthews and Karen Matthews yeah. case is that, oh, God, no, she wasn't missing at all. No, was it? And then that gets perpetuated again. Yeah. And, and I, I think there's a uh, a danger of, of some people, I don't aim this at you at all, no, by no. the way, but there's a danger of some people losing sight of, of, of the duty of care we discussed. Mm. So, so that idea that at what point do you say enough? Mm. And that's why I use my pal as, as an example there, is that that case is, you know, ha happened, conviction, finished. It's, it's, it's done, and that's how... Mm. But they all we see do it as have well. a massive duty of care, I think, as, as investigators in terms of the whole lot. So let me give you an example. So I'm doing a review for a miscarriage of justice. I'm mm -hmm. convinced this young lady in jail for murder, and it wasn't murder. So she gets arrested at her parents' house. She gets taken to Greater Manchester Police. She's interviewed in Greater Manchester Police. And they then decide to charge her. So this is quite a big story. So it's on Sky News. It's strap-lined and everything. The family find out that she's been charged right. by watching the news. Uh, now, I think that's totally unacceptable. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's appalling. Yeah. You know, we have a duty of care to the respective family members of the accused as yeah. much as we do to the other members. And I think we've got to balance that up. And you look at so many family members, and I have a lot of dealings with them 
you know they aren't you, you, they aren't responsible for their child no. for committing those crimes and I think we have a duty to be able to look after them as much as anything else and, and I, it is difficult I think that balance is always difficult to yeah, get yeah. because you're never going to satisfy everybody I mean I you know but, but, but what comes sorry to interrupt you but what, comes, what comes into play there with, with that is the duty of care starts getting you know the same as when you know you had the Lobson inquiry and all that sort yeah. of thing where you had people from all accounts hacking into dead yes. girls phones and oh, stuff horrific and, and what what comes about with uh, if somehow <laughs> has ended up not being a villain in reality you know what I mean yes. somehow employable but anyway, that's an entire yes. different story no I mean but, uh, very lucky Incredibly lucky, you know. They, the next stage of Leveson was going to result in criminal prosecutions of other individuals. There we go. Very well-known individuals, mm. but of course, because they got that first aspect wrong, those individuals. I mean, when you look at it, of course, we won't mention names, but when you look at it and you look at some of those individuals, you go, okay, so there is a piece of evidence in which they've admitted to hacking a phone, mm. which they've admitted to taking that information, and yet they're not being prosecuted. Yeah, and it always amazes me. You, you sometimes as a police. We not just not prosecuted, but actively rewarded within the media. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> given a great profile yeah. and allowed yeah. to continue within that process. And you have to say to yourself, how is that possible? How have we allowed those people to be elevated? And you know, and I'm not making a correlation in terms of the type of crime, but if you look at the likes of Jimmy Savile and you look at some yep. of those other individuals, Ralph Harris and those other individuals who have been allowed to take that step and, and almost been given a platform to yeah. commit their offences. I mean, I, I, we could never have brought Jimmy Savile down whilst he was alive, and thankfully we did when he, when he died. But you get to the point and you think, you know, are there certain people who are still so untouchable mm. that the point to which we can actually only ever do something about them is the point to which they die? And people often say that, you know, who's the next person? Well, there are, there's a number of individuals who are very high profile who we will never be able to expose until such time as they die. Yeah. You know, and there's one person in particular who I cannot stand because of what offences he's committed yeah. but we'll never be able to release that until such time as he's died and, and that's wrong and that's wrong and if we're in a society today that we still can't bring those people to justice because of the litigation because of the fear of the repercussions of that that's terrible yes horrific but but again this all there's actually a, a, a much wider pitch here that's becoming certain to me anyway very clear now there's mm. a lot of clarity coming into this which is about the person in question I don't know why we can't name him should, should we not name him not which the person that the, the phone tapping well he's been admitted to hasn't he so yeah so right so, you, so you've got a situation with Piers yes, Morgan yes right who has he admitted to it though um well I certainly know enough people I believe he has oh, yeah. okay well the general the general concerns I know whenever I've seen him on Twitter or whatever he's yeah. blocked on my Twitter but whenever I see things come up from Piers Morgan there's also there's a load more people underneath saying oh this is coming from somebody who hacked to dead phone, girls yeah, yeah. so it's I don't know I don't know whether, whether he was directly involved whatever the yeah. whatever things that is the general consensus that may be incorrect okay but um, he's notorious now so so he sells his programmes by his, what well, I would consider kind of abhorrent views, whether they're his real views or not, I've got mm. no idea. But that is certainly perpetuated within the, within the stuff that he does. Mm. So, and we say about the McCann case, sells papers and all that sort of thing. So, so the reason duty of care from what, again, my limited knowledge of these things might start falling apart a little bit is because people go, we've got to get this before anyone else. Mm. So we've got to get, so, so it's like why really, for all my hatred of the BBC really, yeah. the BBC are kind of trustworthy in terms of they won't report someone's died unless they have, unless they've had it verified. Right. You know, they do have mm. a, you know, there are, and sometimes things get wrong, but generally speaking, they're, they're pretty stringent they're, they're in their compliance. So, 
Well, well, we saw that with the BBC, obviously, after Savile. So we did the, the Savile Cliff Richard thing that happened. Yeah, and Lord McAlpine. So we did, yep, so yep. We did particularly Lord McAlpine, because the point about that was that a very simple piece of investigative journalism would have established that actually it wasn't him, because yep. the witness was saying, well, it isn't him. That's not who, it, who I'm talking about. Mm. And I think sometimes, see, what we've got is that we've got a problem with investigative journalism as a whole, because by and large, those people that are fulfilling those roles have no experience. So there's suddenly put into a position where they've given a bit of a platform and off they go. Uh, Investigative journalism has, has really died in this country. There's only a few people doing it, and that's because it's costly, it's knowledgeable in terms of how to do it, and it's risky. You know, I have people that abuse me all the time. I've had petrol bombs sent to me. I've had child abuse material sent to me. You know, there are people who don't like me. But my response to that is, well, I'm constantly going to go and try and get the baddies, and I've done that. You know, I... I That's uh, the circle you're mixing in, ultimately, so, of course, you're going to come yeah. across bad, yeah, no, bad absolutely. people. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, is, when you are a bad person, it's like that glass house, isn't it? When you are a bad person, the best form of defence is attack. Yeah. So off mm. we go, we're going to tack, tack, tack. Um, and that does become draining at times. But, I, you know, I wake up passionately, think to myself, do you know, what am I going to go and do now? You know, mm. I can't wait to this, this new project we're going to start. And I've got this really, really big project that's just in the process of just being agreed as far as the television programme goes. And we're going to go after the killers of Nicola Payne. So Nicola Payne, 18-year-old girl, she walked across from her, parents, from her boyfriend's address to her parents' address, a matter of a four-minute walk, mm. 18 years old, leaves a child at her boyfriend's house and she's never seen again. I've got exclusive material that links offenders to her death and I'm going to be putting that out there. Now we've had chats with lawyers in terms of the the legal aspect of it to name these individuals. That's the fear. You know, how far can we go? Mm. I'd love to be able to make, I can make a lot more programmes. So Lee Boxall, uh, but, but is that information all passed on to the police already? Well, yeah, so they have a lot of that. Yeah, okay. Um, and in which sometimes the Crown Prosecution Service will or won't take it further forward. So, for example, Lee Boxall, 15-year-old boy from Sutton, he vanishes. I know who's killed him. Absolutely know who's killed him. But I can't tell you where his body is, right? He's a convicted killer who's just, sorry, convicted paedophile who's just come out of, of jail, um, who I'm trying to now find. I'm convinced the evidence is overwhelming. I've got all the evidence in, in documentation that shows he's done it. But without finding the body, the prosecution service won't take it further forward. And let me tell you another case. So this guy kills a... So he goes into a house in Scotland and he basically robs the old woman in there looking for her prescription drugs, kills her, pretty vicious attack. He gets prosecuted in 2003 in Scotland and he gets acquitted. So, so they have this very strange process over there called not proven. So mm-hmm. it's neither one nor the mm-hmm. other. He comes down to Nottingham. He commit. He basically kills his girlfriend. Really vicious attack one night when he he stabs her multiple times. He then walks out the house. He phones up his friend and says, "Look, I've just had. A, I've just stabbed. We've just had a fight. I've stabbed her." That friend calls the ambulance co- uh, service. The ambulance turn up with the police. He's drunk and he won't go in the ambulance and the police say what's gone on. He's, his friend says he's just stabbed this person. This person won't engage. Off he goes. The police then take three hours to find the address to which this woman... They should have nicked him. They should have, mm. They're trying to find... She's died in that period of time. Mm. He then, they then, police then do an investigation in Nottingham and they find a confession from this guy about the previous murder in 2003 that he got off. So the family then think, brilliant, we've got this guy who's admitting to the murder of this old lady in 2003, goes to Crown in Scotland, and the Crown say, we can't prosecute, even though we've got a confession, because we've destroyed all the paperwork of that case in 2003. So you've now got a convicted killer 
who is also admitting to another murder, a horrific other murder, and he can't be prosecuted. Where's the justice in that? Mm. And the justice is an arse sometimes, because from a, certainly from our point of view, when we make television programmes, you know, I'm, I'm constantly in that point, is can we make the programmes? Because the programmes I make are investigative programmes. They're about holding people to account. It's very different to some of the other programmes that people make, which is just simply going and interview a killer in jail. Yeah, yeah great. Uh, going and speaking to people, following people on a camera of the following the police. What I try to do is that police's job is to try and find evidence and then present that to the police in either to to take the case further forward or give some answers to the family. But by doing so, when you identify an individual, it's really hard then, of course, is to get the lawyers to say, we'll run with that. Mm. We'll go with that. We'll put the name out. And, you know, it's so hard because the very people you're going after in a world today of litigious, they just simply come after you. They just think, well, or the, the broadcasters say, well, we won't take that risk. Mm. Um, and, there's, and the risk, risk now is zero in many places. The right. Newspapers, broadcasters, they won't take that risk. And if you go back to the years of world in action, the early days of Panorama, mm. You know, that was investigative journalism. I'd love to have been around then. I'd love to have been around, as well as being around in the 1960s. Well, the, I'd love to have been around Even those programmes, well. though, they had, they, there's a couple of them you could isolate and go, oh, that was conniving little journalists. Yes. And that was, no, no, they were. They that were. was sensationalist, you, no, or it absolutely. wasn't quite as it seemed and all no, that. No, some of them were contrived and, yeah. you know, and put together, and we can see that because of some of the fallout from that. But by and large, the makers of those programmes took risks yeah they took risks i mean rough justice so rough justice in bbc in bbc i don't know in those 19 i think probably that big of its main was 1970s yeah, yeah massive massive got people who were innocent out of jail now that's huge mm. we don't have that today no. and i do think as a journalist you see we have as journalists i think we have a duty well we do have a duty to tell the truth but we have a duty to use our skills to try and give justice whatever justice is in whatever form that takes but as an investigative uh, journalist i want to be able to go and show whether somebody's been been wrongly convicted or find evidence against someone who should be convicted mm. yeah and i think if we can do that and i you know i constantly face this battle with broadcasters with newspapers and say come on let's take that risk just be a little bit you know just have a have some balls and take this on um but you know if you said to me tomorrow i'll give you 10 million pounds i'm not i've not said that if you did <laughs> <laughs> i would i would just set up a team and we just go and say do you know what bollocks to you we'll put that put those stories out there and you can come to court and you can fight it in court Mm. We could do that without ten million pounds. You could do that much banking on like cereal, like the podcast. Well, you cereal. could, you oh, could, yeah, but yeah. You, the problem is, there are, is there are ways of circumventing the traditional channels now. Yeah, there are. I mean, you can do the finance podcast. It, but yeah, but you can, but you can yeah, finance no, things independently. And of course, the other thing is that some of the, uh, of course, broadcasters, so mainstream broadcasters, so ITV, BBC, they are subject to Ofcom rules. Mm -hmm. So, for example, making a murder on Netflix, very successful, mm. could never have broadcast on broad on uh, mainstream right. TV because mm. it didn't comply with Ofcom rules in any okay. aspect. Right. Right, right. Uh, and you look at some of those other programs that are out there and of course those platforms do really well Netflix does really well because it's not subject to off-com rules yeah. um, Amazon is subject to part off-com rules it essentially sits around where you are based in the country, in the world um, but no the platforms the serial platforms do really well I mean Teacher's Pet mm. Teacher's Pet had something like I think 200 million downloads this is this case in Australia where Guy has I mean it's an incredible story so Guy has so this guy's a teacher and he has an affair with one of his pupils, who I think is something like 16 years old. And he moves her into the house. And then quite soon after moving, his wife vanishes. 
and he clearly knocked his wife off and killed her but the police don't do anything about it and he's obviously i think what he did is he killed her and then put her under the, the patio and then right. moved the moved the body at a later stage i mean most offenders don't go back and move bodies okay because if you've got away with it being buried at a certain place you run a risk of going back and digging up and moving them away so you know, that's why some of the stuff around Madeleine McCann is a bit bonkers, because people are saying, well, you know, they moved her. So, well, one, I don't believe they had any involvement in, in her case at all. Mm. But those people who suggest that, it's like, why, why, when you're under the glare of the media spotlight, would you go back and do something like that? Well, I discussed this with someone the other day about it. I'm not, I'm, I shall say, I'm not well, particularly well informed on the McCann case at all. However, what I do know from a, a basic common sense point of view is... If you've got away with it, shut up. Right, stop going on TV, <laughs> stop asking for more yes. money. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so yeah. it, it makes no sense to me at yeah. all to why that they would continue to be no, in, and I in think the spotlight a, by you're choice. You're yeah. absolutely right. I mean, I think in the early days, so probably in the first 24, 48 hours, 36 hours, is you will often find the offender will, will immerse themselves in, yeah, into the investigation. Of course. We saw that with uh, Stuart Hazel in terms of Tia Sharp. Mm -hmm. When I interviewed him, and he, he obviously he told me his story, uh, and then we also saw it with Ian Huntley, yep. Yep. where he put yeah. himself into it. He was straight in front of the cameras. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, and we've seen some of that. But but those people that continue thereafter yeah. will take a very different turn quite quickly. Um, and we saw that with Phil Potts, you know, in terms yes. of how he yep. approached yeah, that, and then he suddenly it. changed, became a very different person. Well, the quickest way to catch someone, isn't it? I know. Shove a camera on him. Absolutely. <laughs> really I mean, and, it, mm. and it works really well. I mean, I think when, when I did Stuart Hazel, who murdered Tia Sharp, got 38 years, which was a, an amazing sentence, and it was horrific what he did to her. But I remember afterwards, people said to me, you know, did the police ask you to go and do that? I mean, I often get told. So one of the, the, the uh, thoughts is, is am I, uh, do I work for the police? Do I work for the security services? Mm -hmm. So I must be part of that role and everything like that. And I said, no, I just go and do what I want to yeah, do. Yeah. And I just go and do it. And I go and bang on people's doors. I mean, uh, the great thing is I can go and talk to anyone. Yeah. So I can go. So police officers, police have a restriction in terms of some of the things I can do. I'll go and bang on anyone's door. I'll go well, and sometimes talk to you'll put yourself on a radio show just to arrest the producer. Well, you'll never catch me. Just because of Mark, what you're never going to So I now need to the know spa. the story. <laughs> so what is a, is a spa story a real story? I've never been in a spa in my hey, life. Look, you're not going to get a, you're what not going to get a series out of just asking a straight. Uh, I've never heard of go the do spa some digging. <laughs> I definitely wasn't in Guildford in a spa ever. Shh, you're giving too much mm. away. Not in a spa, a spa shop, you idiot. Oh, um, never heard of it. Thanks for coming in. No, uh, thank what's you. the book call again? Twins. So it's Catching Killers, Catching 27th, killers. Of 27th of June. 27th of June, which is my birthday. 27th of June. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for coming in. It's yeah. really, thank you. really interesting. And really I, I wasn't being intentionally confidential at all. I really wasn't. No, actually. that's absolutely fine. I, I, I find it intriguing. So yeah. I, I guess there's a, a, a certain degree of guilt to that. Yeah. You know, that that I will... I'm, I'm not big on serial killers or anything like that. No, but, no. but there are certain things that capture my imagination. Mm -hmm. And I want, like, the, the Ripper book, the, yeah. uh, the something evil, true evil, whatever it was called. Um... I can just consumed it as a book. I was kind mm. of obsessed with it yeah. because of my own history mm. and how it mentally affected mm. me. Mm. So, well, I think I, the Yorkshire Ripper, for example, the Yorkshire Ripper is such an iconic case that I remember growing up. And actually, I remember the day he was caught. Yeah. I remember the day that he caught. I remember watching my black and white TV in my bedroom, watching it. Yeah. This is amazing. And I was, you know, I was in my teens. But I think that if you grew up in that area, so if you particularly if you grew up in and around West Yorkshire, Leeds, those types of areas, mm. you were literally on alert. You know, I think yeah. that the, you know, the universities, the yep. fear that was yep. around there, Wearside Jack obviously took the inquiry off to a completely different direction. But it cost lives, didn't it? Well, it did cost yeah. lives, you know. And then, of course, you've got the old Philp element of the investigation that becomes slightly flawed. Yep. Uh, and it was... 
it was something that was so fascinating. But then if you look in terms of how he was caught, so Bloke. simple, so simple. <laughs> yeah. And that is simple policing. Yeah. And then we lose that today. You know, having a police officer who thinks, do you know what, I'll just go back because I found something in the system, in the toilet, in the police station. So I'm going to go back and check when we found him. And what do they do? They find the hammer. And of course, yeah. that links him straight back. So I think what we lack sometimes now is policemanship and policemanship in terms of the roles that police officers do because they don't gain the valuable experience you know experience now has gone out the window for a lot of people those people that were CID officers you know almost through the whole of their career it's quite hard to get those officers now and we've what we've done as a police service is we've started to remove some of those specialist roles and try to say well you know you kind of got to do everything but also nothing very well so you become a so you become a response officer but you don't actually deal with the whole case but it's hard to do that isn't it when it seems to be governmental policy to set the fucking shirt off your back well, there's no officers, are there? Exactly, there's no officers. So. And then what we do is we create these these false officers, these PCSOs. You know, bless them, they do a great job. But mm. you think to yourself, hang on a minute. So we're, we're paying a PCSO almost the same price as a police officer, but they can't arrest anybody and they can't do very much. And you think, I'm sorry, that's just a bonkers idea. Yeah. I mean, in terms of Blunkett, when he came up with that idea. But, you know, if we want to make a difference, if we want to continue to have the police service, which is the best in the world, then the government has got to get behind it. Mm. And they've got to fund it. And it, if they stop funding it, we will end up with a police service that has gone from being the best in the world to struggling and, being, and losing its reputation entirely. Mm. Thank you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you, man. Yeah. Uh, Mark Williams Thomas, thanks ever so much for coming in. Really appreciate Cheers. it. This song's yes. going to seem really appropriate now, but it's, it's, it's not connected to the interview. Joe Pesci is. Why don't you take your love and shove it up your big fat ass? You know you're the reason we're true. I've got all the yelling and the fights that we had, it they won't be cause of you. Hey, you moan and you groan and you bitch and you whine. You make every beef we got last. Well, I'm telling you, baby, I'm through with you. Take your love, shove it up, you big fat ass. Hey, I'm better off being all by myself. Sorry, just napped in the middle Ooh. of checking something legal for us. Well, that would have been dreadful if that had so you'd, on. You'd, it's you'd have to have cut this out as well as talking about this it, wouldn't you? would have all had to have You're gone. trying to see whether or not I can name someone on the air, aren't you? I, I think no. it's fine, personally. Okay. Because I don't think I said it as categorically true. I said it as there's a general consensus that that's believed the, to be the, the case. Yeah, but... Yeah, I just need to see what is the facts. I mean, I'd have no issue with him trying to sue me. Or indeed, successfully sue me. Why? I'd love my dare caught with that prick. <laughs> Fucking would. They'd be like, talking about the case, I'd be like, never mind all that. Powerpod movie coming I've out. Got him here, I've got him here right in front of me. First off, Powerpod music, yep. movie's coming out. And second, second off, all. you, sir, are an absolute fucking bellend. Three also, I know Marty Scorsese. Yeah, yeah. Say that. Yeah. Bring my friend Say, Craig. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go, oh, the judge will go, you're trying to be funny. I'll go, how the fuck am I funny? <laughs> <laughs> how the fuck am I trying to be funny? You sound a clown? You sound a joke? <laughs> um, I feel there's been a lot of chat in this show and not <laughs> enough music. Okay. So let's find Put some. Put a song and we'll have more chat with Jeremy Wooding. Well, how long, here's the problem we've had today is that we started late because I arrived late because tubes I got turfed off of two tubes. Yeah. Um, so we don't really know how long we've been going for at this uh, point. Well, do we? I think, I remember we started recording for a minute on the part, so I think we've been going for one hour and 29 minutes or 28 minutes. So. Okay, so we're, we're not too we're bad for right. time then, are yeah. we? All right then. Have you got anything you want to talk about, by the way? Um, I've got a question for you, incidentally. Okay. Have you ever had a crown done at the dentist's? What's that mean? I had a crown on a tooth. No. I'm having two done on Wednesday. Are they, does that involve drilling? So it would have been last Wednesday. Well, here's the thing, right? 
It's costing me £500 a tooth. What? Right, it's my own two done. No, I definitely have you can one do of them the, done. You can do the maths. And I need to have one more done as well ne- next week, right? Is that NHS dentist? No, it's private, but it's the... No, it's pretty. It's much more muchness. Okay. It's about twenty quid different. I think. Right. Okay. Um, because there are certain NHS treatments, so they just go, no, we just extract the tooth. We wouldn't actually do the treatment. So, so root canals, they, I don't think they do on the NHS anymore. I think they just go, no, you just have it yanked or pay for it. Oh, what's a root canal mean? It's when they drill through the tooth, get to the nerve, pull the nerve down. And then what do they replace the tooth? They then else? fill it with a temporary filling. You wait for a couple of months for it to settle down, then they put a crown over it. So. What has happened to me is I was told I needed three root canals. I then went to a root canal specialist, apparently the best in the country, Mm. apparently. Yeah. Um, And I know that because of her prices, but I was told by every dentist, go to her. Yeah. She's the best one. In fact, I went to another dentist and they said they did it cheaper. Right. And I said, oh, because I was told to go to this other person. And they went, go to her. Okay. They actually just shrugged off the business. They went, go to her. She's the best that there actually is. So I went to her. And she had a look, and she did x-rays and stuff, and she did a test where she put electricity through my teeth. It was the weirdest thing in the world. It didn't hurt. I had to hold the top of it. It was like a wood burner tool that went in my mouth. And I had to hold the top. And she said, when you feel something, take your hand off it. Yeah. And I was like, what will I feel? She went, when you feel anything at all, take your hand off it. And it was like an electric ripple going through my gut. It was, honestly, it was not unpleasurable. It It was nice. Right. Um, But I took my hand off it. Okay, so she was like, okay, well, the teeth that we're looking at aren't dead. They're not, the root isn't dead. So there is still a, basically, if the root's dead, then that's it. Yeah. End of. So she said, they're not dead. So that's good news. And she did the x rays and stuff. And she went, I don't think you need these root canals. Oh, so you need a crown. Yeah. Two, three crowns. So she said, if I were you, I would just have the crowns. Just have the crowns done. Okay. And see if that works. If that's okay, then that'll be fine. So that, that appointment cost, I think 200 quid or something whatever it was but it saved me nearly two grand okay well that that day nice. i actually left there thinking i've just made two grand mm. i hadn't mm, <laughs> i just yeah. didn't have to go and find two grand anymore right so um i'm having a crown fit but i thought they just just pop one over the top of the yeah just a little hood just pop it over the top so of the tooth that'd be well. it glue yeah. it on whatever apparently not what they do is they, uh, and this is what I'm having done on Wednesday, so it would be last Wednesday when this goes out. Yeah. I might be dead by now. No, it's not going to kill Could me. be dead. They don't give you Novocaine, though, anymore, do they? They give you anaesthetic. You're anaesthetised, yeah. yeah, but yeah. not put to sleep. So they make you all numb and stuff. Then they take a millimetre off all three sides of the tooth. Okay. Why? Well, think about it logically. I'll slot over your tooth. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got to just make the tooth Fire the it. same as it already is. Yeah but part of it's artificial now. Right. So they have to take away a lot of the tooth so that the cap, the, the crown that goes over the top fits so and to doesn't stick out anywhere. Sandpaper your tooth. So they got, I don't think they use sandpaper now, but they, so they'll drill it down, they'll sand it down. Yeah, they will sand it. Not you? with sandpaper though. She's not going to be there with a sandpaper block. <laughs> There's a tool to do Nail that. File, I don't know. Okay, they do that. They put temporary dressing on it for a week, whole will, week. Will it bleed? I've got no idea now. Okay. I don't know. Let's go they do that for a week, a, a temporary cap over it, yeah. crown over it, yeah. and then that's why the real crown is being. So they make a mould of it. That's why when the real crown is being made. Sure. And then I go and have the real crown fitted the following week. Okay. Well, that's nice. Which is put in permanently okay. on my tooth. I've got to have these two done this week. Yeah. I've then I'm doing some movie shooting, so I couldn't do the next time they offered it, and then the week after the, n- the next block of filming. 
I am having the final one done and then I'm done. Okay, well, that's exciting. Dentist-wise, it will have cost me over £5,000 in total, all this work. But that's okay. Yeah, because you need it. In the, yeah, I, I think you should always... Basically, if some here's how I always argue it. I know people who go, I'll oh, just pull it out. No, I've, I've got mate. No, no, honestly, I've got no, I've got no, close no. friends. I've got I can think of two off the top of my head, close friends who've gone and been told they needed expensive dental work. Have gone, I'll just pull it out, no. and they've lost the tooth, right? Yeah. Uh, I I can't relate to that. That's what's their decision. That's fine, but I can't relate to that. In fact, the friend I'm seeing today, mm-hmm. tonight, tonight after, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Add that done, and he now regrets it. By the oh, way, well, about go. one of the two. Get those crowns in. Um, I think if your car went wrong and the garage said it's going to cost a thousand pounds to fix this car, yeah, and you're keeping the car, you'd, yeah. you'd go, well, that's a pain in the ass, but I've got to pay it. Right. So why would you not with part of your body? Just fix your teeth, then. I am. I'm okay, just saying it's good. cost me a lot of money. No, it is. Yeah. Just saying, if you want to talk about pay rises, then we should be talking about one now because I'm absolutely. On my ass, and, and to be honest with you, I don't know what I've done to deserve this. Nothing, because I just can't hear anything in my headphones. I'll turn your headphone on. Oh, why? Can you put it back up Stand then? Stand off here. Well, don't do that. <laughs> Which one is it? Oh. I might have twiddled it by accident. Yeah, it's Can the black you hear it one. Now? No, it's the other one, that's why. Yeah, yeah that's that? it. That's better. I'm on. Is that too loud? No, that's fine. All right. That's fine. Uh, we're joined now by Jeremy Wooding. Hello. Hi, how you doing? I'm all right, yeah. Do you know what? I've had, I think I've had a heavy show today. Well, I think it's been heavy. Because of the subject matter? Yeah. I think that, first off, I met a gangster... No, an actor who plays in a gangster film. Right, he's all like, he's all tight with Scorsese and all Marty. that. Marty, Marty, as he I call him, him now, because yep. I'm going to be having dinner with him. Yeah. Um, which was arranged on this show, mm-hmm. and if anyone wants to doubt that, I, I left the mic up when he was just chatting to me off air by accident. He didn't realise it was off air, and he no. was saying, "Let's arrange dinner." He said, "Let's so, come." So, yeah, when you're in New York, so that I'll is take official. You, I'll take that, you to when dinner. you're in New York, yeah, you know, like when I nip over to New York. Um, and then we had a man who was a former copper. Uh, criminologist now it was all like about Madeleine McCann and all that yeah, the Yorkshire Ripper and all that sort of thing all went a, I, went a, I think I went a little bit Paxman I, yeah you did but you liked it I was semi, was semi-confrontational yeah but in a good way yeah I think so I think I'm polite mm-hmm. with it mm-hmm. so can we just have a nice time in this interview uh, yeah, you know, spring has sprung. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 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 Although I have to say, in uh, in my movie, which I'm sure we're going to talk yep. about, there's a bit of heavy black metal in oh. there. It is quite a dark film, did you, by the uh, trailer that I watched earlier. Well, can we just talk, can we talk about No, it's we, fun as well. It's, it's fun it's as well. How much comedic. fun is it, though? How much fun? Does anyone get killed in it? Uh, no. Oh, no. that's all right, then. What's the, dark, what's the dark aspects the of it? The dark aspect. This is uh, Burning Men we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, Out now. Neo-Nazi villains, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> From Newcastle. Okay. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, documentary then. And, and some dark clouds over the fens. Yeah. Okay. Mm. No, it's yeah. not a documentary. But, but apart from that, it's a fun road movie. Nice. Okay. 
Well, it's how's it come about? Because it seems like in the limited press that stuff that I've got here, the press release, um, it feels independent. Certainly, would that be correct? Definitely independent, and yeah. uh, scraped together the money step by step along the way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, nobody would have given us money for this crazy idea of a movie. For, for why? Well, because, uh, well, for one, it's all shot in point of view. Yeah. And two, it's an ambitious movie for very little money. Mm -hmm. uh, and and also, you, you know, you say to people, OK, so it's um, it's black metal. It's a rock and roll road movie. It's um, London to Lindisfarne. And we're going to shoot it in 23 days and it's going to be like no other film. Yeah. And they all go, well, what's it going to be like? Yeah, you say, yeah, no, it's going to be like no, the yeah. movie, you know. Now, isn't a, that bonkers? Yeah. That when you say, I've got an original idea, people go, no. No, everyone's <laughs> no really, thank you. They're really scared of, of original ideas, everyone, yeah. whether it's TV or film, because everyone wants it to be made or something like has already been made. Yeah. You know? Whereas, surely, originality sells. Yeah. So are you rebelling? Because you have worked within the system before. Um, I, I, is this a rebellion in you? Is this you going, no, do you know what? Now I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, it's partly that, I think. It's partly making a movie that I wished I'd have made when I was in my 20s. Yeah, I hear that. And, uh, you know, now being able to do that on a very low budget and just keeping creative control is on it. Is your budget private? Is it secret? No, you can, I What's can tell you it's 300 grand. Wow, so okay. it's um, you know from A to Z, you know, yeah, totally yeah. finished, which is about, I think the uh, the average catering budget yeah. for a Bunk, Hollywood movie. Yeah. But isn't that weird as well? Though when you talk about budgets and people go, how much? Like like it's yeah. a huge amount of money. Yeah. You're like, no, that's no, that is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, you know, whether it's five grand, fifty grand, five million, whatever. Yeah. If you haven't got the money, you still got to find it. Yeah. And uh, so you know, it's all relative. But um, but you can do amazing things now on a budget that previously would have been thought of, when, especially when it's film and all you know all that sort of stuff. Um, I think you can you can do nowadays. You can do far more on that cash, yeah, than you could have done back in the day. And that's all down to technology, and uh, you know you can pick up the iPhone. You've got your your editing suite now on your laptop. You yeah, know, all those things which really empower a lot of young filmmakers. You know, more. Oh, you know, I wish I'd have had that when I was yeah, when course, I was a kid because uh, it's all about ideas now and about you know coming ahead of the pack because a lot of stuff out there, big competition. Yeah, and you've got to just do something different, and and then you've got to market it, of course. Yeah, you know? um, and marketing, I guess, is a drain, both emotionally and financially. Because yeah. you know, how long is it taking you to make the movie? Well, we shot it two years ago. This so, time, two years so ago. So you're not sick of talking about the thing? Uh, no, I mean, you know, you make the commitment to, to writing a thing and producing it and, you know, directing it. And then you just just go, well, I have to be happy with this. You've got to rep this movie. Yeah. And, and live with it for the rest of my life, you yeah, know. Yeah, so yeah. you better make sure that you're happy with it. So what's your take on distribution then? Because I, I saw here that you, you've done a Q&A screening tour. I think you've got a couple left, got is that right? one or more in Chelmsford right on the 16th of April. 16th of April still, yeah. still every to come. Every man, every man in Chelmsford. But you've done a tour of um, Peck and Plex in London, which is an independent. Mm -hmm. So the Jam Jar Cinema, I presume, is an independent in Whitley Bay. Phoenix, these are all independents, aren't they? Yeah. Mm. So the Phoenix in Leicester, the Art House in gotcha. London again, Pitch House Bath, Film House Northampton, Cinema City Norwich. And Commedia in Brighton, hmm. Dukes at the Commedia, I should say, um, uh, with a Q and A. So you've essentially toured your movie. Is, is there a distribution in place for the film subsequently <coughs> to this? 
Um, well, we did it in conjunction with um, our, our uh, cinema release partners uh, okay. called Munro Films, right. who are very independent and innovative. Uh, they put out a very interesting documentary, which I think is out this week, called Bunch of Kunst, yep. uh, the Sleaford Mods document yep. documentary. Mm-hmm. And uh, having seen that and having met them, I thought, yeah, you know, um, you guys would be ideal to put this movie out. You might actually understand it. And they did. And so... And is that viable, though? So from a financial perspective, is that viable to distribute it in that way? Well, you're never going to, you know, earn huge amounts of money doing a a small indie cinema tour. But you've got to see it as part of the whole marketing and PR. Yeah. And uh, we won't lose money on this. Uh, you know, we'll cover our costs. Yeah. And I think that's all I could hope for. It's, it's like, you know, you're touring in an indie band and you end up playing the Dublin Castle to six people. Yeah. But you never know, you might end up in somewhere in Essex and play to a full house. You yeah, know, you've yeah. got to take the rough with the smooth. Yeah. Um, as it turns out, about three quarters of our venues were sold out, which is great. And, and what, yeah. so why? How, how did that come about? How did they sell out? Well, we did lots of uh, local promotion, local radio, local um, press, uh, and also just, just bang the drum on social media and, you know, getting across to people a brand new movie, which um, is quite hard to get a grip um, with as mm. far as, you know, what it actually is. British road movie? Who makes British road movies? Well, we do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's so it's hard sell in that respect. But once we got to the right communities and just said, look, you gotta have an open mind, come to see the film, you're gonna enjoy the evening. It's ninety five minutes long. It's not two and a half hours in in Vietnamese or something. <laughs> um you might actually have fun. Yeah. And and I think there are things now breaking through. So last week on the show, I spoke to Steve Sullivan, who's directed the Frank, the Being Frank movie about Chris Seavey. Mm. And I spoke to Steve about that. And, and the way that they've marketed that movie, again, is... I mean, they, they, they have the... From an outside eye, you might go, yeah, but it's about Frank Sidebottom. So everyone knows Frank Sidebottom. And it's like, have you got any idea how uncommercially viable Frank Sidebottom actually was? And how... Mm-hmm. Only slightly more he is posthumously. Do you know what I mean? It's not. Frank didn't have an enormous fan base as you would think of in terms of you know he he was an underground hero. He was a you know he was an independent cult hero, but he wasn't. You know he died a pauper, famously. You know, and and his 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 funeral was the the cost were made there. But that movie, being Frank, certainly has a momentum at the moment. And Steve, bless him, is working his ass off on that as well. He really is working his ass off. Uh, in conjunction with the distributors, but but the distrib- again, it's not a traditional distribution. Mm. So I am kind of enamoured with that that idea that you don't have to go down and try and get Cinewell to show it, and you don't have to go down. And, it, and it, if you even if you do, mm. you ain't making your three hundred grand back that way. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, put it in a Cineworld. No, well, ultimately, you're not. And if you do end up putting it in Cineworld or View or whatever, you get that sixteen week hold back before you can put it out on digital. Yeah. And you know you can't afford to wait around for for weeks and weeks. If months something's and got months, momentum, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, totally. and you, you need to start making money back, or yeah. else nobody's going to give you any money again. Yeah. Um, but the the Frank Sidebottom movie really loved it, and I think uh, the key there was that they they found that moment in his career where he got really big, and then it could have gone either way, and then it went maybe bit the wrong way but later on just just how amazingly resilient he was yeah you know, and, and well, he was he was bonkers let's, yeah. let's make no bones you know, no, no, yeah. no bones about this at all yeah. chris was absolutely off his head but brilliantly barking 
Incredibly yeah. sad, but but Chris didn't want to do merchandise. He didn't want to do. He had no interest in that character. He, he'd, he'd always say the worst thing that could happen to Frank Sidebottom is he'd become popular, <laughs> yes, yeah. which is borne out with Johnny Vegas. Ultimately, mm-hmm. you know the character of Johnny Vegas on the stage yeah. originally. The worst thing that happened to that character, not to Michael himself, but to that character, was was Johnny Michael yeah. becoming very mm-hmm. famous and successful because that character wasn't. So he couldn't go on right. and be that character anymore well, because it was compromised by the actual real life fame. Well, there was that, and I remember when Al Murray came in here years ago, a few years ago actually and said that he kind of wished that he hadn't called because that's obviously a character on stage, but people the, then assume the same assume that that he is that character that's on stage when he's nothing like that at all. Yeah, yeah. But Johnny's not Johnny's we, name. No, but, it's, yeah, it's Michael. It, yeah, it is. It is his name as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because <laughs> even when he came. I said he like he does has no issues he's with no being bothered. called Johnny. Family members call him Johnny. Yeah, they do. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's yeah, fine yeah, with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's been Johnny Vegas all his life. So long. Yeah, yeah. that's that's been a thing. Um, I, I I find it yeah. So get, getting back to the point, I find that really not just for my own personal thing because I'm in a similar situation, but but it, it's inspirational for me for artists to take back that control. And to be able to be able to do that, mm. it's not you, they can't stop you, <laughs> no, you know, whoever, whoever they are. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's it's DIY punk aesthetic again. You know, yeah. it's like that. You know, we can make a record and take it around record shops and sell it. I mean, we can do that now with movies. Yeah, and and luckily there are those indie movie houses out there who will put a, a one-off screening with a Q and A. And uh, and people will come because they want an experience going to the cinema. You know, they want to meet the filmmakers. They want to see something different and discover stuff for themselves. Mm. And so I think it's really a, a very exciting new time for British indies to, yeah. be, to be out there. And uh, there's some really good little movies coming out. Mm. You know, I mean, the, Frank Sidebottom, for example, um, our... Um, our distributors are putting out Eaten by Lions soon right, as yeah, well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who was on the, they were the cast on the show last, last week. week. Oh, they were on well, the show. Yeah. 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 They're great, uh, it's a, a great little movie. And um, and so you you just think, wow, this this is a bit of a sea change, I think, yeah. in distribution. Because everyone goes, oh, no, don't put your mov- movie out in the cinema. No one will come and it won't make any money. And, you know, you don't need to do that now. Just put it out on digital. Yeah. But... If you just put it out on digital, it gets lost in the sea of stuff on digital. And it, and it also makes piracy instantly viable, doesn't yeah, it? Like, it, it, does. Instantly. it does. And, so and you, you can't, there's no control in that. No. So as soon as it's available for someone to download into their house, yeah, if, they, if they so choose to rip it, oh they no. can. Oh no. <laughs> and that's, that's the Yeah, but, <laughs> and, but what can you do? Do you oh know no. what I mean? It's, oh what, no. what can you do about that? So I think the, the task is really to keep it. For how I'd see it is to keep it offline for as long as you possibly wow. can. But you, having said that, your film now is online because it's available at Amazon, BT Store, Sky Store, iTunes, Google Play, Microsoft, and Rakuten. But they've already done the tour, so that, yes, that, so that tour hasn't tour, suffered because, it, because it was available everywhere. There. Exactly, and, and and that was a point actually that our distributors said, "Well, look, don't do a day and date release." You know, putting it out on the platforms mm. and in the cinemas at the same time. Just, you know, have a bit of two or three weeks to let it breathe out yeah. there. And also you need that to filter through, you know, through all the bloody noise out there in, on, you know, on social media and for people to come find your movie. Well, again, that, going back to being frank, Steve was... Because I gave money to being frank years ago and... Um, and and Steve has what he's been fantastic doing is keeping in touch with the people who you know and, and regular updates and all that sort of stuff as you would expect you know but he has done that and they were going to do a 24 hour window 
where everyone who donated had access to the film online, could, could watch it online, and then they would close the window again, and yeah. then that was it, that was it done. Um, that they then reneged on. They then said, do you know what, we can't do that. We, you know, and that's to do with distribution and stuff, but we can't do that now, so please support it in the cinemas, which is like, it, it was sort of a daft idea in the first place, yeah. but, but mm. it was coming from, from a good place. Yeah. Um, for people that had waited years and years and years for a movie that was meant to take two years in the first instance. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I guess that's sort of evidence of that, that you can't just keep it out of people's hands for as long as... I mean, I saw Frank being Frank... Was it two years ago? Over a year ago yeah. I saw it. Wow. Quite Because yeah. I knew some people that were involved in it and they had a <clears throat> access code to it and we watched it. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I, I really... I really like that. How do you find the Q&As? How's that as a thing? Oh, Q&As have been great. I, I do it with um, uh, my fellow producer, Fiona Graham. Okay. Who's also my partner. Yeah. So um, and it, it, it mattered having a woman on stage as well because you find that the female audience tend to then feel happier about you know speaking up and right. and also you get into talking about the female characters in the movie yeah. and it doesn't become just too blokey. Yeah, and, yeah, got you. And, got you. And, and so that was good. Um, it, and it was, you know, it was very conversational. It was, it was not just me holding a lecture or um, people asking, you know, uh, the same old stupid questions. It was actually very creative, I thought. Right. And, and fun. And, um, yeah, I mean, often it just just carried on and on where to sort of stop it and go around the pub you yeah know? <laughs> but at that point you're locked so your movie's locked then because it's, it's obviously how it's on the screen and stuff were there any moments within those q and a's where you thought i wish this movie wasn't locked because of the discussion we've had no do you know do you know what because it it was a year in post-production i pretty much went through all those you know should i delete that scene should i make that yeah, quicker you'd, or you'd slower you'd reach your conclusions yeah. at that point yeah of course and, yeah. It, and it had sort of organically settled into what it was for better or for worse yeah um, and it's you know like I say 95 minutes long so it doesn't outstay it's welcome it's not too short um, and when I go back and look at it I still enjoy looking at it and I think that's important as a filmmaker that you don't sort of turn your back on your own creation and yeah. just go oh if only I've had more money or blah and blah you know in the end it's up to you <laughs> yeah, but, but it, it totally is but it's uh, again from my my present experience mm-hmm. I had an awful thing happen to me the other weekend where I sat sure. down to watch the movie, I, the movie to the the Parapod movie that I'm making. Mm. That I and I, I reckon I've seen it possibly three hundred times now already, and it's still not finished shooting properly. We're still shooting pickups and such little other bits to go in. Um, it was the first time in all that times I've viewed it where I sat down and I was like, I'm bored stiff. <laughs> like I really was. I, I was watching it going, I'm gonna turn this off. I, yeah. I hate this film. Yeah, that happens. It does at some point in, in there. You and there was one screening. We, we went to Berlin Film Festival to screen it in the film market, and I started watching it. And it was a small sort of screening room. There's probably about thirty nine, forty people in there. And I got past the first scene, and I thought, oh, I just got to go upstairs and have a beer because yeah, yeah. Um, I just can't cope with it. And, and it, that, fe- it feels longer than it is. Oh, yeah, when you watch totally. it, you're like, this is really dragging. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know. I know. I think everyone gets to that point, and actors are like that as well. They uh, they get to a point, and they just go, oh no, I was, you know, I was really bad in it, and, just, yeah, yeah. and you say, no, you weren't. You're really good in it. Oh, I can't watch it anymore. You just got to get over that point and just how'd you do that and how'd you combat that I that think, malaise with it I think you've got to have faith 
at where you started off in the in the beginning what made you excited about the project and what you wanted to do with it you retain that and you keep going back and thinking yes i really believed in this project then yeah and i still believe in it now and we will get over this hump and we will you know succeed and so you've really got to sort of knuckle down to it i think it's a tough one yeah but, but i guess there's also elements of this is how i tried to combat mm. it was i thought no this cut of this film i arrived at but by making lots of decisions yeah no, and, indeed. And none of them were taken lightly yeah so it it must be right yes in terms of my vision of yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. must be right i've just seen it too many times yeah well there's there's that element and you must you've got to be careful then that you show it to other people and i kind of listen to people's you know takes on it or whatever and it goes in one ear out the other and gets yeah. filtered along the way but if you start listening to too many people they want to re-edit your movie or you mean like producers yeah i agree well just anybody really you <laughs> no, know you your brother sister yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, there you go. There's the key. You know, me being my own producer, right? Well, but, do you know, know, I am technically. Yeah. Well, just, no, no, there you go. There is so another name to producer. Just step up there. Um, yeah. Well, look, I, I, I like it. I'm not. I'm not being disingenuous. I'm not faking my passion for this sort of stuff. I, I really do think this is a brilliant thing to do and a brilliant use of time, and obviously your creativity as well. Um, so it's called Burning Men. It's a hell of a trip. Yes, that's the tagline. Strap line. line. Good, good. Not tank, strap line. Strap line, sorry. Is it? That's right, isn't it? Strap line, isn't strap it? Strap line, yeah. Um, what's the Q&A that's left? 16th of April, Every Man in Chelmsford. And then available... Uh, Amazon, BT, Sky, iTunes, Google Play, Microsoft, everywhere. From now, go and get yes, going. Yes, already. Is there a website for it? Uh, yes, um, burningmenthemovie.com. Perfect, so people can find out... Or, oh, yeah, or all get about it. Yeah. The information See you, the trailer. you wish them to have. Yes, indeed. From Thank there. Um, it's been lovely chatting to you, man. really has, and all the best with it. I hope it goes... Well, it's, it's going already going well, isn't it? If you're selling tickets to screenings and stuff. Yeah. Um, is that us, Nat? Yeah, we're done. Thank you. All right. We're done, we're done for the show. So right. Just, Thanks for coming this in. Now right. just sort of like, I was sitting and listening to you. This is downtime now, really. Now, Listen to some Star Wars. Now I'm really interested in your... Film. That's perfect. That's all. That's all I wanted from this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just tell you, I don't have any money. <laughs> well, well, do you know what? I'm going to say goodbye to the listener now. Thanks to uh, Craig DeFrancia and thanks to Mark Williams Thomas um, and also Jeremy Wooding here in the studio. Um, we shall see you again next week. And I'm about to tell Jeremy what my budget was. See you later. You've been listening to a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com.